Welcome to Kill the Cast. My name is Jerry, and joining me as always is the ever-quotable Jay. I gave him your name, Franklin, and I told him where you lived. I even gave him your zip code. He's gonna kill you. <laughs> I think we picked up Dracula. Uh, wait, no we didn't. Our Dracula rides a motorcycle straight out of Highland Hill. Violent Hill? Uh, Silent Hill. Silent Hill. It's Kenneth. Somebody's been drinking. Nope, haven't been drinking, but uh, everyone be proud of me. Yesterday I smoked one cigarette, today I had two cigarettes. So, yeah. Oh man, I should go do some drugs and then come back and do the rest of the show. I, I am. I really considered smoking before I got on here. No, not for this, though. <laughs> we will upcoming try to do some kind of, at least with these two, they'll be high. I may be sober because I have to make everything work, but we'll do like some kind of fucked up review or something we'll do something crazy like um halsu or zombie rape lust of the dead mm, zombie you know, rape. something fun um with that being said uh jay how you been uh i've been pretty good uh, a lot of changes uh my mom moved in with me um and that's gonna be for the rest of her life it probably seems like uh so that that happened. I lost my office and had to rearrange some things, but in the end, I think it'll be a good thing. It's always good to take care of your mother. That's what we believe here at Kill the Cast. Uh, Kenneth, how have you been? Uh, surviving, working all the time, trying to get a movie in here and there. Um, you know, it is what it is. And then, uh, you know, learning new stuff about... Uh, Horror directors and whatever. Have y'all seen this? Uh, the new thing about the guy who directed Suicide Club? Don't talk to me about it. I'm in mourning and I'm fucking upset. What um, happened? He got accused of like career long sexual assault. Oh, like, no. Yep. Telling women that like if they have sex with him, he'll give them a role in his movie. Like one girl said he was like, call your boyfriend and talk to him while we have sex. Like, oh, it's pretty rough. And this is on top of another Japanese director getting like called out um, like last month or, or, or like a month or two before his call out. So it's been a lot for me, um, especially because what I've been doing is today I officially started prep work for the uh, podcast on the stairs summer series which I didn't do last year because of my mental health problems, but I did the two years beforehand. And uh, I started prep work on it today. And one of the years I have um, is 2001, where we, and this year's a little different. Normally we, we take 10 movies and pick like the best two from the year. But uh, last year they apparently did three movies. So now we're going back through the 70s, 80s. 90s and the 2000s and picking that third best movie so each person got like a set of years and i got like 71 81 91 2001 which has suicide club in it and i was so excited because i was like hell yeah i'm about to go to bat for suicide club and make it the number third as best as i can and then this shit about silent sono came out and i'm like i don't know what to do now so 
I'll figure it out. I think I'm still going to go to bat for Suicide Club because I'm hoping this was so early in his career that he didn't have the clout to try to get people to have sex with him. But who knows? My first thought was, is, oh, there goes a Kill the Cash shirt. Yeah, for real. Like, fuck me, wow. man. Why would you do this? Um, so, yeah, I started prep on that. I have also have... Um, uh, 77, 87, 97, and 2007. So, started looking at the list, started going through and figuring out what movies I haven't seen, what movies I've got to see. I think tomorrow I've got to watch Martin from 1977. So, good movie. Everyone says it is. I've never seen it. So, I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Today, I just rewatched Halsu because. It's on the list, and I think it's like the best era, like experimental art film out there. Like I just love that fucking movie. It's so fucking insane, but it's so like well shot and well edited and like super artsy while also being super wacky, off the fucking wall crazy. So good times. I also I did listen to both of Bruce Campbell's main uh, audiobooks. Hail to the Chin and something else. I can't remember the name of the second one, but I, I listened to both of those. Those were pretty good. If you, nice. If you want to get a real good, deep insight on how the film industry works, listen to those. Because he don't hold anything back. He, he pretty much tells you like it is. I Yeah, that would be interesting. Is that from Audible? Yeah, I got them on okay, there. Sweet. So you can, you can listen to them, but yeah. It, it, they were good. They're not really long either, and they're read by him, so... Sweet. So I'll he, probably listen to that. I'll plan Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. So Yeah, I mean, and the cool thing about it is is like he while he's reading it, he adds little shit in here and there that's actually not in the book. Oh, perfect. Well, that's dope. Yeah. So it's it's pretty good. You you gotta listen to it. And it, it tells like the history of his whole career. All right. Well, we're not gonna waste any more time, guys, because it is time for us to return. Back to the Horror Coliseum. Oh shit, son. Now, we have a huge list of movies we want to do for the Horror Coliseum. And uh, we, we knew it was time for us to go back to the Horror Coliseum. But I was like, we haven't been here in so long. Let's come back with a bang. Let's... And there's these two movies that have been kind of bouncing back and forth for me as to which one like should be the true king of this and i was like we're putting it to the test we are doing texas chainsaw massacre versus halloween both ogs i'm not talking remakes i'm not talking movies with the exact same name just they deleted the space between chainsaw you know <laughs> or it was made in 2018 instead of 2007 versus 1978 we're, we're we're doing full ogs and i wanted to do this because of uh, two reasons one halloween is often claimed as the very first slasher and everything before it is quote unquote a proto slasher um i disagree with this i do not think halloween is the first slasher i don't see much of a difference between what halloween did versus what black christmas did um to me they kind of go the exact same route um and then also, you know, Halloween being the like uh most made money ever from a like 
low-budget, independent horror film. But the truth is, is that one, it's not that independent. It, it is a lower budget, but it's not all that independent. It, it is a smaller studio movie. And two, the only reason we don't say that it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre having that is because we don't know how much Texas Chainsaw Massacre actually made because the people that distribute it was the mob. And the mob doesn't exactly what? crack open their books to tell us how much money it made. But when uh, experimental math is done, Texas Chainsaw is the clear winner, um, money-wise. But nonetheless, it really got me thinking, like, when it comes to the Battle of the Titans, we, can't, we already did Jason versus Freddy. So why not do... Halloween and Sex Chainsaw Massacre, considering they're both like looked at as low budget independent filmmaking from the 70s, except one is done in a very raw style and one is done in a very, very clean style. And when we put these two movies under the microscope of our 15 categories, how do they hold up? Ah, sorry, I had to take a sip of tea after that long, long thing. Don't you have like a living maid that's a robot that you found in the trash? No. This isn't show bits. Oh, Jay got my reference. <laughs> I'm so proud. But the on button is always in the same place. <laughs> I heard it is. <laughs> um, Kenneth, do you need to go get your drink? No, I'll be all right for the moment. Okay. With that being said... We are going to start with Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it came out first. Okie dokie. So, um, who do do either of y'all want to start first on this one, or do you want me to start first? I don't give a shit. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit. Jay? Don't give a shit. I'm going first. Okay. All right. First Big category. Big Daddy Jerry. Big Daddy Jerry is here, baby. Uh, Tex Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> uh, we're not going to go about what the movie's about. You know what the movies are about by this point. So, uh, Fish who loses his dad, right? And he's got to find him. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, um, <laughs> our first category, story script, I give it an eight. While on the simple side... There is a lore and history within the film that you learn as you watch the movie and pay attention. It's not all character dialogue. Some of it's like news reports you hear on the radio. Some of it's just looking at the background and piecing things together. Um, a lot of it's not directly said to you, but you put it together with context clues. Uh, the world just feels lived in and we are only seeing one day of it. But we still get so much interesting background and story. And the script is written really well and really natural. None of this feels like a movie to me. It really does kind of feel like with the way it was written that these are real people in a real place in a real incident. Like this could really happen somewhere in the bowels of 1970s Texas. Yeah. So I gave it an eight. Uh, Jay, what did you have? Uh, I also gave it an eight. Um, 
pretty much for the same reasons. I'm sorry for me to expand on it after what you've already said. Uh, <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> um, Kenneth, what did you give it? Eights all around. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Full eights. I you, gave it. You in agreeance? Yeah, I'm totally in agreeance. I gave it an eight because okay, one. During this time period, man, nobody had ever seen anything like this. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like The Exorcist. Nobody had seen anything like this come out. I mean, you had exploitation films and shit like that. And this kind of... Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of borderlines on exploitation, but not. It's hard for me to explain, you know, but most people out there that are listening to this know the feel of an exploitation movie. And... This one, it didn't have that. It didn't have that. It's so hard to explain. It's just. It looks like an exploitation film. But it but doesn't have the beats. Not, yeah, there's no nudity. There's no. Right. Excess gore. You're it's, getting what is basically an art version of an exploitation film. There you go. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And, and and like I said, the mainstream populace had never seen anything like this before. You know what I'm saying? And so, for story and whatever else, the the way that it was put together for something that for people to be able to relate to it and be able to see it and and really feel like like you said, really feel like this could happen. You know. And the thing about it is, is the 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 portrayal of the characters. Um, this goes back to something that me and you were discussing the other day. The portrayal of the characters in this film is very, very close, with the exception of the 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 psychosis that they all suffer from. The 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 way they're portrayed is very, very close to what people in the rural South were like in the '70s, and hell, still people to this day. You know. And uh, people that live out in the middle of nowhere that that do whatever the hell they want and and don't want strangers to come around their house and stuff like that and and whatever else. I mean, it's it's very very to the T. And uh, growing up in the rural South, I mean, I've seen people that are like this, you know. So it's one of those things where I think that you know when Toby Hooper kind of brought this to to the forefront it really gave people an idea of what uh other people that live in the backwoods of the rural south you know what it's really like and then he just took it and expanded on that and you know obviously with influences from ed gein and stuff like that which is interesting because ed gein took place up north you know the 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 real deal it happened up north but he but toby hooper took that and put it to people in the rural south and yeah, then rural is everywhere. There's just different flavors based on location. But right. I'll tell you one thing. They all don't take too kind to strangers on their property. No, not at all. No, they do not. And then on top of that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, taking taking it and setting it in a place like Texas. You know, I mean, if, if, we, if we put any other state in the south at the beginning of that, it just would not sound as good. You know what I mean? Alabama like, Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Can you imagine that? You know what I'm saying? The Mississippi Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. The, it's just not the same. So so putting it in that. And then also the setting being like the combination between, you know, you've got the rural south and the deserty kind of thing with the heat and so on and so forth. I mean, I, I thought it was just perfect. I thought it was perfect choose a, a perfect way to choose 
where to set, make the setting, how to tell the story, how to put these characters in place, the, and so on and so forth. So that was the reason why I gave it an 8. I could have gave it a 10 if it would have been a little bit more expansive on a couple of other things and then also not being jaded with 30, 30 40 years of other horror movies that have come out. That also made this very difficult for me. I had to put myself in a position of what it would be like to see this back in the 70s. So that kind of makes it a little more difficult but at the same time i mean for the time period and whatever else i think an eight is a perfect score for the story for this i agree we move on to cinematography technical aspects and i give it a 10 the raw nature of this movie is not because it's amateur it's on purpose to make it have a documentary feel and for that it does a great job it might not look sleek But it's also just not meant to. What the camera does in this movie, all of it is on purpose. Everything is done in such a, like, deliberate, technical way that is almost, it almost surprises me how raw they were able to make this look, considering how, like, technically perfect it is. Like, you would think you would not be able to make it look this raw at all. Um, so I, I give it a 10. Uh, Jay, who is apparently over there loading and reloading guns. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the zombie apocalypse is coming. I thought it was a pest dispenser. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little fidget toy. My bad. <laughs> I didn't think you guys could I turned it. the air purifier off for this, and you're sitting back there with a fidget spinner? <laughs> <laughs> no, I said a fidget toy. Whatever. God gave spinner. you a natural fidget toy that is silent. Please touch your <laughs> it's dick It's not instead. that silent. It depends on how hard you fucking pull it on it. <laughs> you can pull it pretty quietly. Trust no, me. No, this I, chair would be creaky. I watched Jackass Forever last night, speaking of pulling it. Man, that is a great movie. It you just want to watch so mutilation for an hour and a half. It was so good, man. Me, me and Cheyenne were laughing so hard, dude. <laughs> that one, to me, out of all four of them, that one's my favorite. So um, much dick mutilation. Lord. Uh, speaking of dick mutilation, Jay, cinematography, technical aspects. <laughs> uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, I liked I liked the, the documentary feel to it. Um, I liked the, the rawness and the grittiness of it. I just didn't think it was 100% perfect. Okay, is there anything in there that, like, you just didn't, like, makes you feel it's not 100% perfect? Like, what did it do that you didn't care for? Um, yeah, but that goes into all the other categories, and uh, since I already okay. have so little to say already, I don't want to take away from... That's that's fair. <laughs> Kenneth, cinematography, technical aspects. I gave it a 9. I didn't give it a perfect score just because there was a few shots that I felt like were lingered on for a little bit too long, like the overuse of the the moon and... You know, um, some of the other, like when they were in the Rocky house and stuff like that, I felt like the, the way that some of the stuff was lingered on a little bit too much. And I felt like that, that, that whole scene where Franklin's wheeling himself in, I felt like that could have been done better instead of just leaving the, the camera stationary while he's going through that whole thing. I felt like that could have been a little, been done a little bit better, but overall, for like you were saying, the raw grittiness of it, especially when they get into the Sawyer house and so on and so forth, which I don't even think they're named called the Sawyers in this one yet. Um, 
but when they get in there, you know, those, I really, really dig those shots. I really dig the ones of like the close-ups of, you know, the furniture and the chickens and, you know, the feathers and blah, 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 all that, all the rest of that shit. I thought those shots were really, really good. Um, I thought the shots of like when Leatherface comes out and he's, you know, hacking up Franklin with the fucking chainsaw. I thought those were really good, but there was just a couple of lingering spots and that'll kind of come into my pacing also. But overall, I didn't think it was perfect, but I do think that it was very, very good, especially for what, you know, was, was trying to be set, was trying to come across from the director. I thought it was really good. That's great. On the scene of, of Franklin trying to roll into the house and it being like a steady shot. I think it's supposed to be like a standstill shot because it's supposed to, show how hard it is for Franklin to get into places in his wheelchair and kind of makes you understand why he is so fucking annoying. Um, And to give him a little bit of like, damn, this would suck if I had to be in a wheelchair and get myself in there. If it was a moving shot, you wouldn't feel that way. No, I'm not saying like a completely moving shot. Like I understand the reasoning behind it being stationary shots. I understand the reasoning behind that, but I feel like that that if it were me and I and I were behind the camera and I was and I was doing the cinematography, I think I would I would want to obviously with the the direction, um, but I think I would want to try to get in a little bit more on his emotions from his face, not just his body language. Um, even though we get a lot of that when he's, you know, spewing with his tongue later when he gets pissed off at his sister. But the point being is that I think in that particular aspect, I think it would be, it would come across more the frustration of him where it's not a shadowy room with the light coming in from behind him. You know what I'm saying? So you really, I mean, you can see it, but you can't see it to the level that I think could be done just a little bit better to convey the frustrations on his face and whatever else. So, you know, and that's going to come into uh, me talking more about that is going to come in when we do the next category. But I just feel like that the, the whole instance of that whole scene, that whole set of scenes right there where he's in the house and he's frustrated because he can't go upstairs and whatever else. I think that in that spot and in a couple of other spots, it could have been done better to try to convey the emotions that he was having at that moment, you know, especially after, you know, I mean, how old do we think Franklin is? What, 23, 24? So probably, yeah, something like that to, to have been, you know, cause there's a line later in the movie where, uh, they're, they're down at the Creek or whatever. And they're talking about somebody would have had to carry him down there to be able to go swimming. So I assume that he's had this ailment since, since birth. So, you know, 23, 24 years of frustration having to deal with this kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, this is the first time we're really introduced to this character other than in the van. So you're going to have to, you know, really get those aspects from the cinematography of what's going on with him. And so I thought, you I think, maybe think that now, like maybe like once he gets in the house and he's rolling around and then they come down, they're like, where's the creek out i want to go to the creek or the pond or whatever the fuck it was like at that point it goes from your, your your sympathy for him trying to get in the house to him being annoying doing his fucking raspberry thing to like the separation of him and normal walking people right that sounds weird 
Like, I think all of that working together just, just to me is done perfect. But I get where it's kind of like that scene in in uh, the original Dracula, where when Dracula is introduced, he's at the top of the stairs, and the camera just shows him. As to where in the Spanish version, the camera goes up the stairs. Right. And it looks so much better camera-wise, but character-wise, it's always going to look better because of it being Dracula. Or Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Right. So, I mean, and I think in uh, for this one right here, man, I mean, you know, it's obviously personal preference. It's going to be what you view, you know, versus what I view. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about what we're doing. So, you know, you've got you've got those different aspects. And that's just the way that I would, if it were me, the way that I would perceive it and try to get a little bit more of the visuals on his facial emotion. That's fair. Well, perfect time for us to move into character and character development. Um, I came in as a nine. The characters in this movie feel actually pretty unique, even though uh, some of them die pretty fast. There are a few that are just kind of normal and a part of the body count. But even then, you kind of remember that, you know, one of them super into like uh, psychology and signs and stuff like that. And like astrology, like you kind of get a little bit of feel for everybody in this very, very short span of time. Um, Marilyn Franklin obviously stand out when it comes to that because they're the two main family characters. But then you also have the Sawyer family, which is not called the Sawyer family in, in this. Uh, and they're all unique. With Even with Grandfather being a limp body, he's still unique. You still learn about his background a little bit. Um, and so considering all of this taking place in such a short span of time, you learn a little bit about everybody even without them having long talks narrating themselves, you just learn about it naturally. There's a natural development and I like all the characters in the movie. Jay, what do you got? Uh, I came in a lot lower than you guys or well than you did. Uh, I came in at a four. (laughs) Uh, Well, I found all the characters to be pretty realistic to the situation. Um, I found them all to be really annoying (laughs) and there was pretty much no development whatsoever with their characters. And since that's part of the score, it kind of cut it in half for me. Um, I love the family, uh, the way that they're portrayed. And like you said, they're all pretty unique, uh, which is a theme that continues through most of the series. But, uh, but as far as development goes, there wasn't really any, in my opinion. And that kind of cut that score in half for me. All right. Um, I don't know if I want to say this before Kenneth goes or not, but I'll say it. Um, I think the development in this movie is not like a development as if as in they grow, but it's development as like there are things that show who the characters are throughout mm, the that's movie. Fair. That's developed so that you get a little bit of a feel of each person in the movie. It's not like a progression it's development in the history of who they are that's fair that's a way of looking at it i wasn't really thinking about um kenneth what did you score i gave it an eight 
And the reason why I didn't go higher than that, I mean, eight is still pretty high, but the reason why I didn't go higher than that is just because of the lackluster background development of the other people in the van besides Franklin and Sally. Um, and the reason why is because, you know, yeah, you brought up the point of the astrology and the psychology and things like that. But at the same time, those were also huge things that were that a lot of people were involved in in the 70s. You know, astrology was a really big thing in the 70s. Um, so but the rest of them, like like what I was going into when we were talking about cinematography, you got Franklin, who you can definitely tell that his personality is based around you know, his, his handicap and the way he was treated growing up, you can definitely tell that that's the reason why I personally think that he's still got, he, he, he's completely there as an adult, but he is, you know, still kind of got that childlike spoiled rottenness to him where I would imagine that kind of was something that was developed on him growing up because he was handicapped. So he had people waiting on him to a degree, but he also had his own, um, his own trials and tribulations that he had to deal with, with the fact that he was handicapped, which was unfortunate for him. But at the same time, that's the reason why I turned him into an annoying bastard, you know? And then you got the, also the development of Sally. When you see her, you can also see the years that she's had to deal with her brother and whatever else she's been there for him. She's cared for him. She loves him. And that's obvious. But at the same time, her, 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 how quickly, she gets irritated at the fact of things that he does. You can definitely tell that she's got a short fuse because she's been dealing with it for a long period of time. Like, especially when, you know, he's freaking out and she's freaking out at the same time when they're standing at the van in the dark. And she just basically, or, or when he's asking questions over and over and over again about whether, you know, uh, Scarface is going to come after them or something like that after you wipe the blood all over. And then when we go into the family, the same thing. When you go into them, you can definitely see the the different dynamics of each one of those characters in the family where you've got the father who's definitely the power player, but at the same time, you know, you've got the, the Scarface uh, brother who realizes that his father, it, he, he is a power player, but the only reason why he's a power player is through brute force. And then you've got Leatherface himself, which obviously is very childlike, and he's definitely mentally stunted, and the father and the brother have used that to their advantage and turned him into what he is for their own ends and also the the history that you can get from the grandfather and the way he was and the growing up and the grandfather working in the uh, in the slaughterhouse and killing the cows and so on and so forth. So you've got a whole lot in a very short amount of time that comes in like just a coin <laughs> phrase. It's like a fucking sledgehammer. It's just bam, you know, a whole lot of shit that goes in to, to the entire history of this family. Yeah, and I would say you definitely get, uh, w during the whole flashlight argument, like, you can tell their brother and sister in that argument. Yeah, I mean, totally. And, and like I said, you can, you can completely see the, the, I guess, the psychological issues that they both had to deal with, not just sibling rivalry, but at the same time, you know, like, her, Sally, feeling like that she's responsible for her brother, and she has been you know, pretty much her whole life. And on top of that, having to be a child around the same age as your brother and then having to be responsible for him, not only because he's your little brother, but at the same time because of his handicap. And, and you can definitely see it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, all right. 
We're going to move into pacing and editing. Let me take this movie's dick out of my mouth just to put it right back in. I give it a 10. To me, there is no slowdown. There is there is world building. There is character involvement. There is no padding because these lingering shots that Kenneth brought up earlier, I think, help with the next category of being atmosphere and being a little unnerving. Um and and the editing in this movie, the editing for this movie is so good. It is just some of it is so quick and fast and unnerving and like delirious that it's so good, but it also knows when to like slow down and and not be so chaotic. It just works so well for me that I don't know. It has a nice like combining of like slow, meticulous, like art film lingering shot versus quick cut, like chaotic um, in your face editing style. So uh, there, I sucked his dick even more. Jay. <laughs> Uh, I gave it a 7 out of 10. I like most of it. It just, again, just wasn't perfect to me. Um, I felt it starts off a little bit slow. Like you said, they're doing some world building, I guess, but uh, it still feels like a slow start um, to the movie uh, to me, and so that's why I kind of knocked it down to 7. At what point in the movie do you think it, like, picks up? Um... Probably about the time they find their old house is really when it starts moving into uh, moving into a, a faster pace, because uh, that's when all the shit starts to hit the fan. Because I feel like most movies, like the first like twenty to thirty minutes, are usually slow. You're introducing everyone, you're learning what the setting is, the ba- the the characters, the basis of this, and this one at least starts off fucking with like a really gruesome fucking art display that <laughs> yeah is that's true that is a really a gross great opening um but all right uh kenneth what do you got uh for pacing i'm giving it an eight um overall the movie i mean it, it kept you moving i just feel like there was certain uh, there were certain places that just lingered on a little too long you know, and there were other ones where I felt like that it was just overdone. Like uh, a prime example is when, you know, Sally's sitting at the dinner table and they just go on and on and on with her screaming and the back and forth between Leatherface and Scarface and back to her and back and forth. And I mean, I was sitting here watching it today, man, and I, and I was just sitting there and I was like, my God, I don't remember this being this long. You know, and I mean, I understand the point. The point is supposed to keep up the scare and keep up the, the you know, giving you the willies factor of what's going on and trying to make you put you in a position of her and so on and so forth. I get that. I totally understand. But at the same time, I'm just like, come on now, you know. And uh, and to me, the best part about that after, you know, the first few screams, and uh, the best part about it was how green her eyes were. But other than that, because you don't often see people with green eyes anymore. But 
you know, other than that, you know, the, the, I mean, I think they show the dad beginning to laugh and trying to fight the difference between him saying he doesn't take no pleasure in killing and then possibly taking pleasure in killing and back and forth. I think they did that like four or five times. And I was just like, Jesus, you know, how long is this going to go on for? And, and there were other parts of it, man, where, you know, there was just, there was, there was just things like when they're running through the woods and Leatherface is chasing after Sally and stuff like that. I just felt like it went on for far too long. And, uh, you know, but other than that, I mean, other than, you know, 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there, whatever else. Other, other than that, I think, it, I think it moved along pretty well. But it was just those few things where I'm just like, my God. You know, and don't and and don't think that I don't have issues with that and the other one too. I do. You know what? It, I, like I was trying. Like when I hear like y'all's negatives on it, I have to look at my positives and go, okay, why do I think their negative is a positive? Which is one of the reasons I like doing horror coliseums is because then I need to justify why I see it this way. Neither one of us are right. Neither one of us are wrong because it's all opinion. But it makes me like have to think, OK, why do I like it so much um, when technically he's got to hey, you know, Kim's got a good point. Um, I think for me that one in real life, any kind of arguments at the dinner table always go on for way longer than they should. <laughs> People are always repeating shit to each other. Yeah, but not um, screaming at the top of their lungs for three minutes. Boy, come to my Thanksgiving. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I, yeah, I've definitely been in situations where that is the reality. Uh, but, but it's, but so for the, for that, that makes it feel real to me. But the second part of it is that this is a family that does not go by a social norm. So, of course, they would go on longer on shit like this than a normal person would. And this is especially identified in a scene that you didn't bring up which is in the same scene but it's a slightly different scene when they're when they have the hammer and they're trying to get grandpa to hit sally like that goes on for really two or three fake swings than it should yeah but the main but reason it works why... so well right i didn't bring that up and the reason why i didn't bring that up is because I didn't feel like that that was, you know, other than being on the other side of the camera and being like, my God, what the fuck are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Try uh, Do this. Get the fuck up. You know, something like that. Other than being that kind of, guy, kind of guy, you know, from looking at it from a technical aspect, that actually does really well because you're sitting there and you're trying to watch this guy who's borderlining on death doing his best to, you know, hit this chick in the back of the head with a, with a damn hammer where I'm pretty sure... That, you know, he barely has the arm strength to get the grip on this thing, much less lift it up and bust her in the back of the head with it. So, you know, and see that I actually really enjoyed because it's, it, to me, honestly, it was kind of comical. Yeah. On the um, chase scene, um, is this like the movie that like really solidified the final girl chase scene. Like, is there any chase scene for a final girl before this movie that is like iconic? 
I'm not sure because I'd have to do some research. I yeah, wouldn't know like off the top to, of my head. Because I don't remember. Uh, yeah, like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the first one and she's the first final girl or anything like that. But I would say she may be like the first iconic final girl for the slasher genre. I feel like both of these movies together come up with a lot of the tropes in slashes that we see in modern movies. I think no, yeah, I I agree. Like that's definitely true. But I mean, the tropes of the slasher genre started in the uh, giallo genre. I, I I really don't want to get into this until I get into the to the hero category. Okay. Um. So I'll just talk about the pacing editing for that. One, Sally can run. Holy shit! And she to looks honest, damn good a, in them bell bottoms doing there, it too. There's a part of me that's like if. The only reason Leatherface can keep up with her is because she has no idea where she's at. And, and she's then towards the end, obviously, because flight. she's bleeding after bleeding out of her skull. Yeah, and she's in flight response because otherwise she would be fucking Sonic the Hedgehog versus Mario in a running contest. <laughs> it ain't fucking happening, Leatherface. Um, but uh, I, I've heard other people talk about that scene going on too long but i just really like the atmosphere of that chase scene um because we're getting into atmosphere see what i did there um uh once again going to open my mouth really really wide i gave atmosphere (laughs) a 10 this movie makes me feel like i am sweating in texas i am choking on its dust I feel like I am the, in the deepest parts of rural living. The 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 world of this movie is built on the music, the long shots, the sweat, the dust, the trees, the fucking old style houses. The atmosphere of this movie is just done so well. From the people to the to the liquid ooze coming out of that graveyard art piece to the stain that is on uh, the hitchhiker's face, which to this day I still don't know if it's blood or a birthmark or what. Always, but I thought it was a birthmark. I always call it a scar, so either way. Yeah, it could be. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, so I give it a 10. Um, Jay, what what do you got for atmosphere? Atmosphere, I gave it a nine. Uh, I, I the movie does an amazing job of building atmosphere. Everything, everything is done to help build the atmosphere. Every every shot, every angle, um, everything. The from the the statue at the beginning of the movie to the fucking armadillo on the side of the road uh, that's just dead. All of it. Uh, the the shots of the furniture, just everything. Everything about this movie helps build the atmosphere, um, and there's not a single thing wasted when it comes to that aspect of it. And it just is really puts you in the mindset that you need to be in to enjoy the rest of the movie. Hmm. Kenneth, what do you got? I just got a ten for me. It was. A, it, it, it It's awesome. It. It. It's one of those movies where I'm gonna. I'm gonna kind of piggyback off you jerry and and a little bit off you too jay it's it's one of those things man where it it completely captures being in the summer 
in the South. It completely captures it. The the way the lighting looks, the sunlight, um, the heat, everything else like that. When you get into the people's house, the atmosphere is so good that when you see one of the characters walk into the house, it's almost like you can psychologically smell what the inside of that house would be like. And feel it like you can feel when you when 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 the the first guy walks in there and he's looking around, but especially when the girl goes in there looking looking for him and she really gets a good good look at everything that's in the house. You can feel the humidity. You can feel where it where it where it comes up and it, it just takes your breath away, you know. And again, going back to it, growing up in the South and you too, Jerry. You know when you walk into a house that has no air conditioning in the middle of fucking July in the South in the humidity oh my god it is it is awful and so when you walk into an old house like that and then having all the bones and the rotting and all the rest of that i I can i I can i can feel it when i watch it i can feel it i know what that's like and so that's the reason why i got a 10 for me it was i thought it was perfect i thought it was perfect everything that they put together to make you feel like you were in that world was amazing yeah, I don't think he had that problem anymore of walking into someone's house without air conditioning. But I'll tell you this. If uh, you don't do it until they're cooking. When they're cooking, you're okay. You can go in there because it smells wonderful. When they're not cooking, oh my gosh, just sweaty body and dust and like the mildew building up everywhere. Oh yeah. I mean, it, 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 is, it is rough. <laughs> it is rough. And anybody that's from the north... Like some of our can- Canadian listeners or something like that, if you've never been down here before, yeah, come down here in the middle of summertime. I promise you, you're going to hate it. Your blood's going to be too thick for, you know, summer in the South. Yeah, and the older the person is, the more their house smells like mothballs. Yeah. It's awful. Anyway, uh, uh, that was atmosphere, right? Okay. Nothing makes atmosphere like scenery and set design. So here we go. I give it a 10. Is can is there any complaint about scenery or set design in this movie? Like, look at all the details. Like, watching this movie over and over and over. And noticing, like, more and more things built in the Sawyer house out of bones. Which you kind of go realize, man, the hitchhiker's been making art And, you know... Uh, like eh, the gas station looks like a poor local rural gas station. The the houses look old and beat up. Eh, everything's just perfect for scenery and set design. Jay, what do you got? Uh, I gave scenery and set design a nine. Uh, I I guess I, I've, I you know this always happens with these fucking shows where I feel like my scores are either too low or too high. <laughs> after listening to you guys talk. Um, so I feel like maybe there should have been more tens in my scores, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. The scenery and set design just looks great. Everything looks, you know, like it should. I think we always have like categories where we go, oh, I, I rated it way too high or I rated it way too low, but that's kind of like the fun of the show is that. Um, Kenneth, what did you give scenery and set design? What do you think I gave scenery and set design? You gave it a 10. Fuck yeah, I gave it a 10. 
Everything about this was amazing. I even noticed something today that I've never noticed before when I was watching it. I never noticed that when Sally's tied to the chair, when she first gets into the house, I never noticed that the arms on the on the chair were actual arms. Oh, oh geez, yeah, and if, really? you, and, yeah. And if you look at the backs of the chair, there's bones. Yeah. That would be where like the wooden plates would be. Right. It's, and it's bones. Like, yeah, and like the arms are like actual arms. They're not just skeleton arms. They're full on fucking arms. You know, and I'm, I, I've just noticed that today as many times as I've watched this movie because I know I've watched this movie a thousand times. It, and I mean that literally. I've probably watched this movie a thousand times. And I'd never noticed that before. And I noticed it today and I started laughing. I was like, oh my God, that's great. Arms for the arm on the chair. That's fucking perfect. But um, everything about it is great. Like the gas station, when you brought up the gas station, it reminds me, Jerry, you remember, you know that barbecue place that uh, is down in Franklin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what that gas station reminds me of. You know? And uh, so that. I thought that was great. The look of everything when they're just driving through and going to going to uh, the Franklin house, you know that looks great. But but what kills it, man, is the Sawyer house. The Sawyer house is fucking amazing. With between the, I think one of my favorite things about the Sawyer house, besides obviously the furniture and shit, one of the best things is the door, the big ass damn metal door. That, that, oh my god, yes. That is fucking great. And I watched a documentary on the actual house because, you know, if we all three of us could get together, you know we can go eat dinner there. It's That's a restaurant true. now. And yeah. uh, that but that door is not, but you know, an area for that door is not in the actual house. They built that for to go in there. And uh, But to me, that's one of my favorite things. I think the door really, really adds to Leatherface himself and his little area that he's got back there for his butchering and everything. I think it's just great. Everything about it was great. All right. Um, next, we go on to acting. I give the acting an eight. Uh, the acting here is a lot better than what you get for most low-budget low independent flicks, but there are standout performances um, from everyone in the Sawyer family, but especially the hitchhiker. Um, obviously, Sally and, and Franklin are really, really well done. Uh, the rest of their crew is passable. None of the acting is like so bad that I'm just like, oh, fuck, what is this? Um, which you usually have one or two in low independent films where it's bad acting. But the cast is so small here that you just didn't have that problem. So... While no one is really going to blow you away here and make you cry for an Oscar, it's still really solid acting. So I gave it an eight. Jay, what you got? See, I gave it a six, but for the same reasons that you gave it an eight. <laughs> like, I thought it was solid for indie low-budget stuff, uh, but not anywhere near, like, amazing. Uh, I, I had to give it a couple of points over for Sally. Um, I had to give a couple of points for uh, the cook's face when uh, he talks about, I just don't get no joy out of killing. But then you're watching him as they're terrorizing Sally and like his face keeps kind of like <laughs> popping a smile, a little goofy yeah, smile yeah, where he really is kind of liked, enjoying it. Um, I found most of the, most, most of the, the late movie humans to be annoying though. Uh, 
this is something I guess I'll bring up in a later category too, but like 90% of Sally's dialogue is her just screaming at the top of her lungs. And I understand that, you know, someone would probably do the same thing in a real life situation like that, but it was just so annoying that I just did not want to hear it anymore. Fair. Okay. Too much screaming. Kenneth, what do you got? I gave it an eight for the same reason y'all did. Okay, yeah. All right, we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> we go into category eight, special effects slash kills slash gore. Uh, I give it an eight. Uh, the hook, the hammer, the chainsaw. It all feels like every kill here is is kind of iconic. Uh, even without the, the huge amounts of gore, you're not going to get a lot of gore in this movie, a lot of clever edits. But there is um, some power to the kills, the, the hammer kill especially. Um, the hook kill is, is good. The chainsaw on the Franklin kill is good. Um, I, I just, I, I can't give it a 10 because there really is no gore and, and there's not like that much for crazy special effects. But the kills themselves have weight to them. They are iconic. So, Jay, what do you what do you got for special effects kills and gore? I gave it an eight as well. Um, like you said, the kills are definitely impactful. Um, they don't they don't need to be gory, in my opinion, to be to be good and memorable. And this movie proves that. Um, but without there being any gore in this category, that being one third of the category, I just can't give it a perfect score. But I thought I thought what we got was really well, and obviously it was restricted by budget and and whatnot. So, what we got was really good for what we got, and uh, it works really well within the confines of the movie too. Nice, Kenneth. I gave it a nine. I thought the kills, mm. not for the not for the gore, obviously, because there's not really any. Uh, the most gore that we get is when Leatherface cuts his leg. There's some gore when they show the body of the hitchhiker after he gets run over by the I, Black Maria. I guess. But not a lot. But overall, I mean, there's really not any gore. But again, to go with what y'all were saying, the weight of the kills themselves. And I think the biggest thing that I like about the 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 choices that they made about the kills is that they feel natural. You know, it doesn't feel like, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, most of the time when we go into a movie like Friday the 13th, if they made another one or anything else like that, that's a lot of times what we're going in for to see what kind of, what, what can they come up with to get more inventive on the kills or something like that? You know, that's what we're all looking forward to. But when it comes to this movie, I think the thing that I like about it is how natural it is, you know, to see somebody, you know, just bust somebody in the fucking head with a hammer. Or you know what I'm saying? Or when uh, to go back with what you said, you know, Leatherface just walked, just nonchalant, just walks this girl up while she's screaming and fighting, and just throws her on a meat hook. You know what I mean? And and it just seems like it doesn't seem like that somebody's trying to be imaginative or inventive or anything else like that. It just seems like that Leatherface is just doing what he needs to do. And I like that. I really like that. To me, it makes it seem more realistic. It makes it seem like you know, this is something that would actually happen and it could, and it, and, and some of it did. And so, you know, that, that's the thing that I really like about it because there's nothing extreme. There's nothing way out there. 
you know what I'm saying? There's not somebody getting uh, getting impaled up on a spear or some shit like that. It's just, you know. Or folded a, in half in a bed. Yeah, or some shit <laughs> like that. Or, or somebody getting their head fucking goddamn crushed in a shower. It's nothing like that. It's a guy who is mentally impaired with a fucking chainsaw and a hammer. Pretty much, yeah. All right. Uh, we speaking of uh, mentally impaired with a hammer, we move on to monster slash killer. Um, I gave it an eight, uh, and it's a little bit for the whole family, but we all know it's it's about Leatherface and what he is as as a character. Um, like Jason in the eighties, he doesn't really speak, but man, his pig squeals are so famous that every uh, black metal uh, musician ever has copied him. <laughs> um, he is big and he is fucking terrifying, except when he's with family as he whimpers away. There, there's there's a duality to this guy. Um, but if you can outrun him, you should be all right. So I gave him uh, an eight. Jay, what did you give? I gave, uh, like you, I kind of judged the whole family as the monster killer, with Leatherface being the main focus. I gave it a nine. Um, I just, I love the differing personalities of each family member. Uh, I love uh, how brutal Leatherface is, and just in general, um, I thought I found them to be the best part of the movie, so I scored them pretty high. All right, Kenneth. Um, I gave him an eight, and, uh, you know, the reason why I gave him an eight and I didn't give him a higher score or something like that is because they're 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 great, they're iconic, you know, uh, they're definitely you know insane, but at the same time, you know what I'm saying. For me personally, there are other things that I look into as uh, a fan of the genre and a fan of different genres that kind of meld into it, like thrillers and stuff like that. So when I'm looking for a killer or a monster or whatever it is, I'm also looking for other aspects too. And, um, you know, some of those aspects are missing in, in, in this particular one, you know, like, uh, I'm more of a fan of, uh, you know, even though these are great, I'm more of the, I'm more of a fan of the, the type of killers that are a lot more intelligent and thought out and things like that, you know, kind of like Hannibal Lecter, things like that. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of killers like that. Or I'm also a huge fan of ones that are like, uh, um, you know, like uh, Patrick Bateman or something like that. You know, the ones that are that are clearly insane and they know that they're insane, but they relish in the fact that they are. So, um, those those are some of the aspects that I that I'm missing from this. But those are only personal ones. So I'm just going to give it an eight because you know, otherwise, if it wasn't for the just those couple of personal things, then I would I would probably end up giving it a ten. I have to give you some shit. Uh, Patrick Bateman did not uh, know that he was insane, nor did he uh, relish in it because did you most read the book? of that. No, oh. going off the movie. Yeah, he totally does. He to does he know he's insane in the book? Yep. Because in the movie, he doesn't really figure it out till the end of it. Oh yeah, he knows he totally. He's he knows he's oh, fucking shit. totally crazy. He knows that he's crazy, and even in the movie, he also knows that he's crazy. He even he even damn. You know, uh, in the movie, he even um, fucking I'm I'm totally missing the word that I'm looking for. Here's this current moment. 
but he even hints on it and he even you know makes makes uh quotations and th- quotes and stuff like that on the fact that he is uh he's totally not there he's fucking in, he's he's lost his shit he knows that he has and in the book he really knows that he has hmm oh, well. during the dinner he's like i am absolutely insane mm-hmm. yeah he knows that he's fucking crazy he he 100% knows. The biggest thing that the movie does differently is the fact that you're left at the end of and we're trailing off here like we always do, but you're left at the end of uh at the end of American Psycho wondering whether he actually did it or not and he's wondering whether he actually did it or not. Oh, well, I watched American Psycho 2 and he did do it because that chick killed him and made her, and that made her the best serial killer of all time because he previously was the best serial killer of all time. I'm sorry, what movie are you talking about? American Psycho Two. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, you're gonna have to speak up a little bit. I didn't realize that there was a movie that existed called American Psycho Two. It, it. Speaking of which, the next horror coliseum, American Psycho Two versus an American Werewolf in Paris. Oh God, why? I don't know for funsies. I'm gonna take my microphone and I'm gonna stick it next to the toilet while I'm taking a shit. And there you go. Okay, fair. You <laughs> found a hero. Hero, hero, hero. My mouth's back open. Ten out I of give ten. It, that black guy that drives the truck is the best. It's, <laughs> I give it a ten. Honestly, to me, she is the greatest final girl in the entire history of horror. Every Friday the 13th girl is based off of her. She is strong. She fights. She never gives up. She is everything that is woman. She is the perfect woman. And... uh she is the hero because she can run faster than a uh, tall, fat guy with a chainsaw. So that is, I'm being 100% serious in case okay. you were wondering. <laughs> Jay, what do you got for hero? I hated Sally. I gave it a three out of 10. Damn. I just, I did not care for her at all. Again, this goes back to some, the screaming being like 90% of her dialogue is just screaming. Uh, and the only reason she gets away is because everyone is dumb. <laughs> like, it just, and she can run fast. Yeah, she can run fast. I'll give her that's where the three points come from. It's for her ability to run fast. <laughs> I just didn't. I just didn't care for her at all. I, I well, found her to be more annoying than anything else. Kenneth, we need a tiebreaker here. <laughs> um, he's like five. Uh, I'm. I'm Fuck. I, I I actually originally was at a five, and then I thought about her fucking white bell bottoms, which I thought looked great on her, and that moved it up to a seven. But that's the oh, only reason Kenneth why it moved it up to a seven. Asses. Because I did not like Sally either. <clears throat> I didn't I didn't think that she was a great final girl. She just happened to get away. You know, they were sitting there and they were doing that whole thing where they were trying to get Grandpa to bust her in the head with a fucking hammer, and she managed to break away and jump out the fucking window. You she know, managed to break away because fucking the hitchhiker was like, I'll fucking do it, and he got too, like, excited about doing it himself that he just completely either way, let her go, either, which is a natural reaction for his character, and so she... Jumps out the window. But that's not cutting fucking Pamela Voorhees' head off with a fucking machete, is it? No, it's not, but... Because I just don't... The the only reason why... The only reason (laughs) why I would even put Sally in the final girl category is because she was final. literally the final girl. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. You know? 
And that's the reason why. I mean, and you'll and I, and I will put this into I will put this into context when we do the next movie, because there is a a, a vast difference between Sally and uh, what's Lori. her name, Lori. There's a vast difference between the two of them. You know, why would you talk about Lori? I'm saying Lori Strode. Yeah, no, she ain't the hero of that movie. She's the final girl. She ain't the hero. Yeah, but either way, I mean, that's where we're going. <laughs> You know well, shit, that's who I judge as a hero for Yeah, that I did too, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you could do Loomis, but, you know. I mean, he's a great, but we'll get into that then. But the point is, is that I didn't think... Uh, I mean, Sally Damn, just managed to get away. How lucky for her. points just based off how the bell-bottoms looked on her pants? Man, bell-bottoms are fucking awesome. I don't care who they're on. They could be on a dude... You know what I'm saying? I mean, they look great on the village people. I don't give a shit. Bell-bottoms are awesome. You remember all the girl jeans I used to wear back in the day? Always had that flared bottom. Hell yeah, and you looked amazing in those. So I'm just saying, man, bell-bottoms are fucking amazing. And that's the reason why you got the other two points. Because I would have given her a five. Okay, well, I guess I, I, uh, my love for, for her is like a pizza pie. All right. We move on to score, soundtrack, and sound design. I give it a 10, and this almost all goes into sound design. Don't get me wrong. The soundtrack being mostly in-world is great for the atmosphere, but it's not a soundtrack that you're going to buy on vinyl. But as far as what it does for the movie, it absolutely stands to make that sacrifice and make it worth tenfold. What little like music music is in the movie that's that's for effect instead of being sounds from the radio is great. But just the sound design of everything going on in this movie is it to me is just absolutely perfect. And I just love any kind of movie that tries to do most of its soundtrack coming from inside the world of the movie that's just really neat to me so i've always had a soft spot for that even though i understand what i was gonna say you should watch baby driver baby driver i watched uh drive baby driver is so good i thought it was gonna suck it's really good but all the music comes from the in-world characters ipod yep and See, that's not a, that's not creative to me. No, no, listen. Not, the it matches the character. The it, it, I understand that, but that is not what I'm. That's not the same thing as what I'm talking about. Oh my god! Well, excuse me for trying to suggest the movie you might like. You still should watch it. It's actually a really good movie, and the fact that the music is going on pretty much all the time with him doing his thing in the movie—it's actually really good. I was surprised you should watch it. I'm sure it is. I just want to point out that it's not as like uniquely creative as what Texas Chainsaw Massacre does. You're a hooker. <laughs> you should never throw a bong, kid. Ever. Um, uh, Jay, what did you give? Score, soundtrack, sound design. I gave it an 8 out of 10. I agree with you. I, uh, the sound design is fantastic. Uh, one part that I can really point out to, as a great example of this 
is when I can't remember the character's name is running around the house and Leatherface has his chainsaw going and the background noise is just his chainsaw the entire time while this person is scrambling around and you don't see Leatherface, you don't see the chainsaw, but you can hear it in the background the entire time. And it's just it's just phenomenal. And that kind of resonates to the whole the whole movie. Agreed. That is a fantastic example. Um, okay, Kenneth. I give it a nine. All right. Add <laughs> or just a nine? Nine. Okay. I don't need to say nothing else. Y'all did a All great right. job. Kudos to you. We go to scare factor. Um, I gave it an eight. I feel like this is just overall a disturbing film, especially if you were in the right mood for it. The sound, the look, the family. In fact, it still gives me... Oh, this is actually perfect because Jay just talked about the scene. It still gives me a little anxiety when Jerry finds uh, the body in the freezer and then the body <laughs> jumps and then Leatherface enters. Dumps it back down. And, and, and like, between her jumping up and then it quick editing to the sound of Leatherface with his chainsaw coming, or no, you actually don't, ha- he doesn't have his chainsaw. You can hear the chainsaw, but he doesn't have it. He actually just has like another hammer. Um, but like, for some reason, that always like just makes my heart jump a little faster when the body come jumps out and then turn around and bam, Leatherface. Um, so... I give it an eight for all of that. Um, we we know scare factor is always our like most subjective category because we're adults. We don't really get scared easy, but um, and sometimes I wonder why we have this category. But I still like talking about that one scene that just makes my heart go piddle paddle. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay, what did you give scare factor? Uh, I'm right there with you. I gave it a seven out of ten. Um... Mainly going back to the atmosphere is just so good that it's it's a lot of it is unnerving. Um, the 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 camera shots that they use uh, really Dude, help just unsettle sound. the human brain. That sound with the camera shots always yes. just makes me go. Yeah, I don't like. It sounds like the a, a robot cat dying. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't unplug me. Yeah. <laughs> Wally. <laughs> um, sorry, continue. That's that's it. I agree okay. with you. Uh, <laughs> Kenneth, what did you have good. for scare factor? I gave it a nine. And I think, yeah, and the reason why I gave it a nine is because, I, again, I, I put myself in the position of people that were seeing it in the theater back in the day. I can't do that. That's so hard for me to do. I have, and see, when it comes to certain movies, man, especially movies that are that came out during that time period, I have to put myself in that position because if I don't, you know, you've got for for people like us, you know, um, and then if for people like Jerry who've got a hundred years worth of fucking horror movies, and me and you who've got, you know, I've got some that are a hundred years, but you know, mainly about forty or fifty years. You know what I'm saying? Worth of horror movies, yes. It's going to be difficult to put us in an in in a position, especially with an iconic movie like this. It's been out for 40 years. It's going to be or 50 years now. It's going to be uh, it's going to be difficult to 
to get to us under the skin and things like that, unless it's one of those movies that is just completely on point the whole time. And I do have a couple of those that have done that to me, but it's different for this one because there's, there's so many knockoffs and, and where they've tried to redo it. And then you obviously got the, the ones that came out later on in the series and stuff like that. So I have to put myself, do my best to put myself in the position of the audience that would be seeing it for the first time back then and I gave it a nine because you know going back to what I said in one of the other categories nobody had ever seen any shit like this before man agreed nobody nobody had that's true and so you know it's like and again going back to and I'm always going to do this going back to my favorite horror movie of all time man I mean imagine what it was like 1973 we know what movies come out around that time period in the 60s and the 70s imagine what it was like in 1973 walking into a movie theater and seeing something like that yeah, uh, 1975 seeing Jaws. Yeah, it's insane. Like they're 1977 seeing Star Wars. Yeah, I mean nobody. I mean you didn't have what we have now, where you can just fucking I, I I can just hop on my fucking PlayStation, man, and I've got you know eight or nine different streaming services with thousands of fucking movies to choose from at any point in time. They didn't have shit like that back then, man. They didn't even have fucking VHS. No, they did not. You know, so the only place you got to see shit like this was in the theater maybe once or twice a year, if that. So imagine fucking walking in, never seeing anything like this before, and sitting down in that opening fucking sequence where the dude is telling the story, you know, and it ends with, the you know, the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Imagine yeah. seeing that, and you've and never seen And this was a big drive-through, like, drive-in movie. Whatever. Right. Think either, of seeing this in a drive-in. Holy shit! Yeah. Either way, imagine that. I mean, that's that's how a movie that you nobody had ever seen anything like this before starts, and then that fucking wicked sound with the fucking the picture shots and and you know the red and fucking <sighs> black where it looks like you know a, a, a damn uh, inverted color shot of like sun fucking uh, sun f- solar flares and shit like that and whatever else man can you imagine what the fuck that would be like back then that would be goddamn amazing and scary as fuck I agree alright we move on to entertainment and rewatchability uh, I give it an 8 this is one that uh, if it gets put on I'm watching it um, I, in fact I love to just put this one on and enjoy the rawness of it while I do other things are like when I feel like having that grindhouse, but I also want an actually good movie, this is like a great go-to choice because it, because it, it's exploitation while also being an art form. Um, so that I, I, I like watching it for that, and I do think it's entertaining every time I watch it. Jay, uh, I gave it a nine out of ten. While I didn't, I don't think the movie does everything perfectly. Um, as far as its entertainment value goes, what it does do well, it does really well, and that just makes it an incredibly entertaining movie. Um, there's a lot of older stuff that I personally have a hard time rewatching. I can appreciate, but just am not into it, and this is not one of them. This is one that I can sit down and watch at a regular basis. Nice. Kenneth? I gave it a nine. I mean, it's like I said earlier when I was talking about something else, I've seen it a thousand times. And every time that I watch it, I enjoy watching it. 
you know, there are some movies out there that I, like Jay said, just can't do that with. And uh, this actually used to be one of them when I was younger. But the older I get, the more that I enjoy watching this movie. Like, uh, I watched it today, and I watched it probably three or four weeks ago. And I watched it probably a month or two before that. So in the last six months, I probably watched this movie at least four or five times. Yeah, I've watched it twice in the past, like, two months. So, with you on that. All right, we move on to pop culture. Uh, I give it an eight. Uh, to me, it's on the second tier of horror icons, along with, like, Pinhead and Chucky. That's saying that the first row is Jason, Freddy, and Michael. Second tier is Pinhead, Chucky, and Leatherface. Um, I, I blame the sequels for this. Um, but also the lack of development for the characters and the movies surrounding him for rarely being anything noteworthy. Everyone knows who he is, but they're, they're not going to be able to go into much details besides, oh yeah, he wears people's faces and he has a chainsaw. Well, yeah, we know that, but they, they can't tell you, you know, much else, which is unfortunate. But because he is in that second tier... He is very high into pop culture. So I gave it an 8. Jay? Uh, I gave it a 10. Um, I feel like this is just right up there with them. Maybe not the entire series as a whole, but that first movie, like, I don't think there's a single person who watches movies who wouldn't recognize the name Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You're very correct on that. Kenneth? Um, I gave it a 10. And I mean, you know, I understand where you're coming from on separating them by their tears. But at the same time, man, I mean, when it really comes down to it, I agree with Jay, you know, and, and then you made you made a comment just a minute ago about the about the sequels and whatever else. And you think that the reason why Leatherface and I may have misunderstood, but the reason why Leatherface is not on top tier is because of its sequels. And I actually I disagree. If if not anything else, I think the sequels in my opinion, whether the, whether we like him or not, has moved him up into that status where every fucking body knows who Leatherface is. Between, you know, the sequels, that, the infamous fucking damn Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which of so many people fucking hated, you know. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I watched it today. Um, but you got the infamous Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Then you've got the next generation, which came out, which everybody knows that for various reasons. You know, and then obviously the ones in between, but th then everybody knows Next Generation for various reasons. Then the fucking remake comes out, and everybody thought that it was going to suck and whatever else. And to me, in my personal opinion, it was the one that fucking catapulted damn uh, horror remakes where at, at the time. I mean, there were obviously other ones that had come out before that, but fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre catapulted that. Because it was, I don't, I don't care what anybody else says. I thought the remake was fucking gold. I thought it was great. Oh, me too. I like them both. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. And then, and, and then the prequel to that one came out, which you know obviously didn't hit as hard as the as the uh, the remake, but it was still really good. And then the next thing you know, you've got fucking retcons that are coming out, and even down to them, the newest one, which you know is a hit or a miss depending on the person. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so, in my opinion, from a pop culture standpoint, fucking Leatherface is right up there with the others. I mean, at the top, with Freddie and Jason. He's right up there. And I think it's based on the sequels. 
So I give it a 10. All right, that's fair. All right. That's also a good argument for the next category. Representation of its subgenre or horror in a hole. In hole. In the hole. We like hole. In my hole. I give it a 10. If I had to pick a single movie to represent the entire horror genre, I would pick Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's raw. It's disturbing. Really? It's it's exploitive. It's counterculture. It's against the grain. It's slightly under uh, what's considered normal. To me, Texas Chainsaw Massacre would be a great representation of of the horror movie genre. Like, of course, there's too many subgenres, so you can't pick anything that's going to hit every subgenre. But gun to my head, pick a movie to represent horror. I'm choosing Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Absolutely. Very interesting. A 10 out of 10 representation. Um, Jay, what do you have for representation? Uh, I gave it it a 10 as well. Um, I don't know if I'd pick it. Like, if someone said pick one movie to represent the entirety of horror, I don't know if I'd choose that one. Um, but I would definitely, with its, it with it being one of the first slashers and whatnot, I feel like it's it's a, it's a great representation of, of its, its subgenre and as horror as a whole. Just, I don't know if I would pick that as a, my, my one movie like you would. Well, that's fair. I mean, I, I I don't think there's any correct answer for that question. Uh, there's two. I mean, there's wrong answers, but I don't think there's any correct answers. Um, Kenneth, what do you got? I give it a nine. And it would have got if if we were talking about specifically its subgenre, it would have got a ten. But because we're also representing horror as a whole also, I had to give it a nine. And that's just because of my own personal love for The Exorcist. That's, I mean, that's fair. I, I, because I, when it comes down to it, going back on what you said just a minute ago, it will. if somebody ever asks me, it will always be The Exorcist. Yeah, I, I can't pick Jaws for that answer. Like, I, I do agree Jaws is a horror movie, and I will fight over it, but I don't think it's a good choice as for representation. And see, I can understand horror. where you're coming from on that. But I because... can see the argument of Exorcist being. Right. And see, I can see I can see how you would totally feel that way about Jaws, because I thought about that when I, was, when I was scoring it, and I was like, okay, well, Jerry would probably pick, you know, would possibly pick Jaws, but I doubt that. And the reason why I doubt that is because it's a Steven Spielberg movie and regardless of what genre it mainly falls in when it comes to a Steven Spielberg movie, Steven Spielberg movies are always adventure movies. Correct. Whereas this one's the just ex- adventure horror. Right. Whereas the exorcist is not an adventure movie at all. Debatable. I don't think so. <laughs> I was joking. It depends on whose adventure you're talking about. You know, if we're talking about Reagan's maybe, <laughs> That's a terrible adventure. Yeah. But the point <laughs> um, is, is that you get what I'm saying, man. I mean, all Steven Spielberg movies have that Steven Spielberg feel to them. You know, even correct. Jaws. They all do. Correct. All right. With that being said, um, let me check and make sure I don't have anything 
in my notes that's of any important no okay so with that being said total points i gave texas chainsaw massacre 135 points kenneth gave it 131 and jay gave it 115 so those are pretty pretty fucking high scores uh i came in at the top, Jay came in at the bottom, and Kenneth is right between us. But most notably, Kenneth is only four points under me. And I was extremely high on this movie. I'm not so surprised. That, That's a good one. It's a really good movie. It is. All right. We will now be going into Halloween. All right. So now we're going to take a look at the original Halloween this one, um, we actually reviewed this movie a while back, uh, back in the early days. And uh, let's just say my opinion has changed greatly on this movie. And uh, at one time, I was stupid enough to say that I actually like the Rob Zombie uh, Halloween more than I like this one. Um, I still tur- feel that way. Turns <laughs> out that's what happens when I'm not on proper medication. <laughs> Oh, man, these meds have balanced me out and given me a new appreciation for Halloween. They have. Can you imagine, can you imagine a, a medicine commercial and, like, while they're reading off the side effects, like, they cause appreciation for 70s slashers. I was a pretty good, that's a pretty good side effect. Holy shit. Vomiting, <laughs> nausea, rectal bleeding, appreciation for 1970s slasher <laughs> films. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, shit. So here we go. We are starting off with story and script. Uh, I gave it a seven. Sometimes simple works. There isn't anything to blow you away, and having that restraint and keeping everything moving can work really well for you. But it does hurt your story. Uh, the story is still good, still well done, but uh, not a lot of meat on that bone. It, it makes it better in some places and hurts it in others. And that's going to be the whole big thing that we're about to go through for Halloween is that the simplicity works on some things and does not on other things. Still makes it a good movie, but we'll, we will see where this will backfire. So I gave Story and Script 7. Um, why am I going first? I always flip it. What the hell? Uh, Jay, what did you give it? Uh, I'm going to be in the middle regardless, so. <laughs> uh, I gave it a five. Uh, the stuff with Michael I really, really like. The stuff with the kids I do not give a shit about. Uh, so it falls solidly in the middle for me. Okay, Kenneth. Um, I gave it an eight, and the reason why I gave it an eight is because even though you know you could put Black Christmas in front of it, um, it kind of gave the mainstream, you know, the idea behind the slasher. And then also it did give the backstory to Michael, you know, not, a, not obviously not like Rob Zombies, but it definitely gave a little bit of backstory to him. You know, it gave, it fleshed out, you know, the whole thing of like, you know, Michael getting out of the, the, the institution and stuff like that, you know, and whatever, and him being in the institution for 30 years and what he was like, or 20 or 15 years, whatever it was. 
and um, you know it kind of fleshed that out, you know, and then the story had a good had a good dynamic between him and Loomis and stuff like that. So I, I, I gave it an eight. I thought it was I, I thought it was pretty good for for the time period and whatever else. But I mean, obviously, it's far from perfect. But you know, it still was it still was really good for what it was and for the time period. So I gave it an eight. All right, uh, cinematography and technical aspects. Um, I gave it a 10. You cannot deny that this movie looks good. It sounds good. Uh, it, it's, it's got good pacing. Uh, we'll argue about that later. And yes, it's overall well-directed. Um, and that might be an understatement, honestly. It is sleek while still having a, a darkness to it. Um, and all of that is just based on the cinematographer using the Panaglide camera, which was the competitor to the Steadicam, um, and him being able to just really get good angles and really get solid movements and giving us that, that like, having a steady camera be the, like, eyes of the killer is so interesting because most of the times, like when we're seeing from the eyes of a killer, it's a little shakier. Um, but with Michael, it's not, it's steady and that's kind of eerie and it just works super well. Um, so I went a little high and gave cinematography a 10. Jay. Uh, I gave it a seven. Uh, there are definitely some really, really cool shots that use that camera. Um, the opening sequence is shot really well, and uh, I was watching a uh, what is it? The uh, movies that made us on Netflix. Uh, the the current season, the latest season, is all horror movies, and they were talking about how they had to do that shot a couple different times <laughs> to try and get it, and it, it took them a long time. But uh, I just didn't think that the movie as a whole was perfect, and there are some things. Uh, that do some crossover with some of my other scores, so I'll save some of that for later. Um, but yeah, I gave it a seven. I do have to say the one scene in this movie I absolutely fucking hate is in the beginning of the movie after he kills his sister, and like the camera just does that pan back from him out front, and is and he's like got a bloody knife and shit. And his mom just goes, "Well, I guess I'll just put my hands in my pockets and wait for someone to tell me what to do." Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a little. But that was to me more of a acting problem. The shot is still really good. Yeah, Um, that's fair. Kenneth, cinematography, technical aspects. I gave it an eight, and I mean, you know, the POV shots and stuff like that were really good, and especially for the time period and whatnot. But I mean, there's other things that I just find that are you know, pretty typical for the style of movie, even for the time period that it came out, you know, typical for horror movies and whatever else, like, you know, still shots and things like that and whatever. I mean, but the POV thing is what really brought it up for me and brought it up into the eight. And I have to give it, I gave it a higher score just specifically because of that, because everything else like that was pretty running. Everything past that to me personally was pretty run of the mill. Okay. Fair. Um, we move on to, character development uh i gave it a five i'm gonna be honest here i don't feel like there's much in this movie uh i I understand you know it's a movie that takes place over two nights and really the first night is like 15 minutes um we learned barely enough 
of the characters for them to have small personalities. Um, and once again, it's the simplicity in the movie that that does kind of hurt in this area. And because um, even with Michael, all we really learned is we learned is he killed people and then he stopped. He killed his one sister and then he stopped talking. And we you can. From there, his everything's a mystery. You have to make up your own vision of what Michael's doing in this movie, which I do have a vision of what he's doing in the movie and I will talk about it. But for right now, I'm not. Uh, Loomis is just a doctor obsessed with his patient. You don't know anything about his backstory or his life, which is on purpose because uh, the actor who played Loomis uh, asked them to take out of the script the part where he called his wife. He said, we don't need that. And hey, great call. You were right for that for your character. But uh, as for the teenagers, there's nothing there. Like there's there. Hey, that's the nerdy one. That's the cheerleader. That's the cop's daughter who smokes pot. Okay, like there's just really nothing there. Um, so I only gave it a five. Jay, what do you got? Uh, I'm actually right in line with you on this one. I gave it a six uh, for the same reasons. Um, yeah, I really, <laughs> I really got nothing after that. Fair, Kenneth. What do you got? I gave it a nine. What Jesus Christ? Yeah, I gave it a nine because the reason why is because I feel like that this is the movie that was the beginning of the slasher tropes of the body count. I really think it is because exactly what you just said. You know, you got the cheerleader. You got the, obviously the girl that smokes pot is going to be the sheriff's daughter. You know what I'm saying? And then you've got the 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 final girl who is, you know, the one that's the 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 one the nice one, you know what I'm saying, that's gonna the one that doesn't have sex and the one that doesn't do drugs and she's obviously gonna be the one that survives. You know what I mean? I mean you've got all those tropes and that's where and this is what really kicked that in gear. And that's the reason why I think that is how I look at this movie as character development because it developed that those characters for slasher cinema throughout the next fifty years. Interesting. I I don't agree with you, but I I understand why you went that way. Because I I mean I looked at I, it. I just don't think that's character like. I think it developed those characters for all the movies thereafter. I think. Many genre movies have always used those stereotypes. Before this, tell me which ones. Okay, I mean, you can go into a lot of movies that use this, use like these stereotypes of the the nerdy girl, the the slutty girl, the drunk girl. Hell, all of that is in Black Christmas. It may be, but I'm talking about. I didn't say. The one that started it. I said the one that solidified it. Okay, but that's because still we not could we could go back. That's literally just using a stereotype, and other movies finally go. Oh, I'm gonna could, copy that. We could go. Like, back. I agree. We could go back. We could debate Halloween when we, it comes to everyone wanting to say what solidified the slasher. That's what everyone I'm saying. Goes, I mean, oh, I give... copied Halloween, and that's because Friday the Thirteenth copied Halloween, and Friday the Thirteenth is actually the one that kicked off the slasher boom 
but that's what I'm saying. I mean, we can sit here and we can debate all day long the differences between Halloween and Black Christmas. We can totally do that. You know what I'm saying? And more than likely, you know, our, our arguments will come up as to be the same as, as many other arguments and stuff like that. But when we sit here and we talk about the differences, and you've said this already in this podcast, when we look at the differences between Black Christmas and we look at Halloween, we look at the differences between it. Black Christmas was not the movie that put the slasher genre on the map. The movie that put it on the map is Halloween. And then after that, Friday the 13th was the movie that fucking took it from that point on the map and traveled it everywhere else. I understand that, but that doesn't mean Halloween developed those characters. And see, the thing about it is, is I think they solidified those characters. I think that Halloween is the one that put it, set it in stone for those types of characters to be in this type of movie. That's what I, that, that, I mean, that's the reason why I gave it a nine. Because that's what, that's, that's exactly the way I look at it. I look at it like Halloween is the one that did it. You know, the characters may have already been there in other movies and stuff like that. And I'm not disagreeing with that. But what I'm disagreeing with is the fact that Halloween was the one that stamped it in stone and said, okay, here we go. This is the way that it's going to go. And then when Friday the 13th came out, Friday the 13th was just like, yep, we're going to stick with that and we're going to keep going because obviously it was a ripoff. So we're going to stick with that and keep going. And then once you go into after the boom, from right after Friday the 13th, every fucking movie was that way. Okay, let me say this. I agree with you, but not for this category if you would have said this in uh pop culture or representation i would agreed with you but bringing this up for the characters and the development of those characters inside the movie and which is what i feel this category is i just can't agree and see the thing about it is is once we get down there to representation of the subgenre that's where i'm going to get into the rest of it Because for me, the the one, even though overall Halloween got a lower score than t- than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even though it did. Whoa, spoilers. Uh, for me, it did. You know, and it's obvious already that it's going to, if you go, if you look back on, on, on our podcast where we did just this movie, you know what That's I'm right. saying? Halloween is definitely not one of my tops. But the point is, is that, Every one of my categories are going to fall in, fall in to talk about other different things. Every one of them in this one, they're all going to link together. Every single one of them. That's fine. I just don't like, like with that argument out of the way, what would you actually get if you had to score the characters and the character development inside the movie? What would you score it? Not what they did for the genre, not what they did going forward. The how the characters are written and how they are developed as actual characters inside the story. If we're gonna go on it, if I'm if I'm gonna go on it based on, I'm probably I would probably go about it the same way that I did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where we really don't have a whole lot of background on each one of the characters. But the thing about it is, is you can read different things off off the characters. You know the two main characters. You can read different things off of off of the two main characters, and it was kind of the same thing that I did with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where where the majority of the character development I thought, with the exception of the Sawyer family, 
the majority of the character development that I saw was between Franklin and his sister. And in this one, it would be between Loomis and it would be between Lori. And when it really comes down to it, Loomis, you can definitely tell when... And so going back to the score part of it, I would probably give it like a six or a seven. And the reason being is because of the lackluster for the other ones. But those two would carry it higher for me because the way the personality that you have for Loomis, it definitely comes across 100% what he is, what he's been through. Um, looking after Michael for the last 15 years, what he saw when Michael killed his sister, the so on and so forth. So his acting in itself, and, and, and again, like I told you, it's going to all come together. His acting in itself tells the backstory of him as a person and everything that he needs. You don't need dialogue to get that. You can get that totally from his acting and his personality. And the same thing comes from Lori. She's a small town, she's a small town suburban girl. The way that she acts, she's very focused on family. She's very focused on being a nurturing type of person. You can definitely tell the way that she was raised in the type of family life that she had when she was raised that way, that she's raised in the type of household that's like that. Converse to when Converse to Halloween, the Halloween remake by Rob Zombie. So you can definitely tell that that's where she came from, how she acts with the kids, how she is very protective and nurturing and has that motherly quality to her from just, just from her personality alone. So do I think that the character development from a script aspect is that great? No, but do I think it's good from the acting point of view and where they're coming across? Yes, I do. So I'd have to probably give it around a six or a seven. Okay. I was just generally curious as to what you thought. And it also made me think what that uh, in Sex Chainsaw Massacre, I'm very accepting that three people are there for a body count and, and two of them are there just to be like the the men on the arms of their girlfriends. But, uh, okay. Uh, from there, we move on to pacing and editing. This one's going to be an interesting one. Um, and it's one that I've came, I I used to be very hardcore about this in a negative way, but I'm actually not anymore. And I gave it an eight. Um, there is a little padding. Um, and a little, oh, yeah, there's a, a, little say a little, there's a little padding. There's a little padding, uh, like I'm a little fat. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Jay. Between the two of us, between Jay and me both, that's how much padding is in that fucking movie. <laughs> I feel like the movie flows better to me now than it used to because I can, I can, for some reason now, on the miracle drugs that I'm on, can uh, appreciate the what drug is this i need to start looking into it oxycarbane i think um <laughs> or it could be the Vinaflax. i'm not sure one of those two um sound like alien symbiotes <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> that i i can appreciate the going through the life of the small town girl in this movie um we a little bit Vinaflex. easier um as for the pacing as for the editing the editing's really smooth and clean in this movie i don't you really can't complain about the editing to me i think the editing's really really well done um with that being said we'll now go to jay and then kenneth and they'll both tell me how i'm wrong jay <laughs> uh i gave it a six 
I, I feel like the the editing is fine, like you said, but the pacing is just it's off, man. It's there's so much that is where just nothing is going on to move the story forward, except the passing of time. Like there's no story elements in it. It's just the passing of time that we need to happen until we can get to nighttime for the movie to happen. It's, it's how I feel. Uh, so I just I just I gave it a six. Okay. Kenneth, how am I wrong? I gave it a five. <laughs> and I mean, when it really comes down to it, man, you know, aside from atmosphere building, you know, and we'll get into that in the next one. Aside from that, I honestly think this movie could have been condensed down to like 35, 40 minutes mm-hmm. when it really comes down mm-hmm. to it. I mean, because like there's some of those shots, man, where. It's just, it just goes on and on. Like, like the scenes where Lori's walking down the damn street, man. It, I mean, and it's just these long, drawn-out shots of nothing going on but her just looking down the damn street. And we, and, we, and we can't go into the whole artful kind of deal with it, you know. And I love John Carpenter, but we can't go into the artful part of it, like Stanley Kubrick, where he's looking down these hallways or whatever else, because it's supposed to be artful. You know, this isn't artful. This is looking down a fucking street or watching mm-hmm. somebody's head as they're walking for like five fucking minutes. You you want to know what made me appreciate the editing and the pa- well, not the editing, the, the pacing of this movie a lot more. House of the Devil. House of the Devil. That movie is 90 percent padding with nothing happening until the very end. Nothing moving the story forward. At least in Halloween, while there's a, there's padding in between like small events that help push the story, the narrative, and the characters along, that at least does happen. House of the Devil does none of that. It's 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 her taking a call to get a job, and then her eating pizza, and then some shit happens. Uh, and see, the thing about it is, I like House of the Devil, but I would probably give the pacing for House of the Devil probably pretty close to the same score. I would give it, like, a two. I would probably give it pretty close to the same score. Maybe a little bit lower, because like I said, I mean, I'll give it credit for atmosphere building, but how many fucking times do we have to watch Annie walk from inside the house to the garage, back to the fucking house, back into the goddamn garage, back and forth, back and forth, back and fucking forth. Shit, with those legs, she can walk all day. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like my thing with the bell bottoms, but the point is, is that damn, how many fucking times are we going to have to watch that? How many times are you going to have to see Lindsay walk outside and then walk back and then walk outside and walk back? And there's, and it's not like it's from a POV killer shot. If it was from a BOV killer shot, that'd be a little different. It's not. It's just a shot to see them fucking walking. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we could compare this to fucking Lord of the Rings. Three movies <laughs> of people wrong. fucking walking. You ain't wrong. Well, you know? I knew I was going to take a beating on that category. <laughs> I mean, um, that's, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. That's, you know, again, I'll give you credit for atmosphere and you'll see it on the next one. But the point is... there's just too much fucking filler shit. You could condense it down to like 35, 40 minutes, I swear. All right. We're going to move on now uh, to Atmosphere. Um, Atmosphere, I give a 10. I think this movie excels at it. Uh, It it, it had Atmosphere in a New Age way, kind of like how the gothic movies of Hammer did. But instead of fog and 
dark castles. It's the atmosphere of making us actually feel like we're in a small town and that we're in the the black void that is the serial killer. Um, right off the of Sunset also, Boulevard. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I do feel like the, the what little small dialogue we actually do get between characters is actually pretty fun and pretty natural. And it does help build the atmosphere for like the small town part. And then the POV shots help build the the atmosphere for the killer part. And then the music overall is great. I also think the the use of the color blue and the use of the color orange in this movie also helps with like the atmosphere. Um, totally. Jay, what did you give it? Uh, so I gave it a pretty high, uh, where did I go? Atmosphere eight. I gave it an eight. <laughs> um, the only reason it didn't land perfect for me like you did is because going back to the pacing and editing, not to be an old dead horse, um, it just some sometimes I just get pulled out of it. And the, the atmosphere that it does such a good job building up is, is kind of ruined a little bit by some of the other detractors for me. Yeah, that makes sense. That I, I could see that. Uh, Kenneth, what about you? I gave it a nine. And the reason why I gave it a nine is because... It, it, like you said, it definitely sets up, you know, what it's like to be walking down the street. You know, if you've ever walked down the street in a suburban town or something like that, you know, that's that's exactly what it's like. You know, it's dark. It sets it up very, very well. Um, you know, there, a, a lot of times movies that come out now that take place in a town like that or something like that, they don't they don't capture that essence of what of the realism of actually, you know, just strolling down the street in the middle of the night or what it's like on Halloween night when you're in, when you're in a suburban town like that. So, you know, it, I think this movie definitely captures that very well. And then when we go into like what I was talking about before, when I was talking about the pacing, you know, the slowed down pacing of that, even though I think that there's way too much padding in it at the same time, it definitely gives you the feel of where you're at, you know, and, and, and I will give it credit for that, even though I think it was, it was way overdone, but I, I, I think it, it, it definitely conveys what it's trying to convey by, you know, this type of thing, you know, having a, having a killer come and kill somebody anywhere. It can happen anywhere. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, in a uh, in in the rural South like the last movie that we did. It doesn't have to be that, or it doesn't have to be at a campground or something like that. This can happen to you know your your neighbors next door. Yeah. You know, and I think it and I think it captures that very very well. And then the same things what you said using the you know the blue colors and things like that, and then the oranges that are coming in to you know for the Halloween and and the blues for the nighttime and stuff like that, and the very soft colors and whatnot. It definitely gives you it's like it, it's almost like an anxiety that's based off of a juxtaposition of you know uh, of it being dangerous, but at the same time being very uh, very inviting and homey because of the setting. Yep. All right. We go into scenery and set design, and uh, this one's quick for me. I give it a five. There's nothing blander than small, boring town. Okay, it's bland. That's it. Jay, what do you got? I give it an eight. Uh, I agree, it's bland, but it. I mean, small towns are bland. <laughs> it, it looked. It looked like a small town in the middle of fall. Like I can't really fault I it. I get that, but like they couldn't decorate for Halloween some. 
None of these houses I, have like. I really guess, but I mean, that goes back to its budget. It's a it's a lower budget movie, you know. They didn't have. You mean to tell me that somebody was, couldn't come out of their pocket to get a few more jack o' lanterns? I I don't know, man. I just someone I, in that. that I guess maybe that's why it's not perfect on my on my score. But I just feel like it feels like a small town. It looks like a small town, so they did their job. <laughs> yeah, all they did was add leaves to the ground. Those were probably already there. <laughs> no, they had to add leaves to oh, the ground. Oh, did they? Yes, because it was California, and it didn't oh, look like yeah. fall in, in Middle uh, America. So yeah, all they really did, literally all they did was add leaves. All yeah. my five points comes to, the hey, leaves. they did those leaves really well. <laughs> That's it. Um, uh, Kenneth, what did you give it? I gave it a four. And I mean, I gave it a four for one point for leaves, one point for jack-o'-lanterns, one point for the station wagon. Okay. And then one point for the fact that you can't really see any palm trees in the background. It got four. Okay, that's fair. I like it. <laughs> we go we go to acting. Um, I give it a, a seven. It's okay. No one is terrible, but no one is better than slightly above average at best. Um, with the best being uh, Loomis. Um, so acting is a seven. I really got nothing. Jay? Uh, I gave it an eight. Um, nobody really stands out, but nobody's really terrible. I just overall, the amount of good versus bad acting was higher. And so... I was already beating up this movie pretty hard, so I decided to go a little higher on the acting. In the acting category, in many of movies, I have said that sometimes the best thing is when no one is bad and no one is, like, super good. Because then you never get taken out of the movie by acting. So I I always think that's kind of some of the best way to go about it. Uh, Kenneth, what about you? I give it a nine. I actually thought the acting was pretty good for each each person that was trying to portray what they were trying to portray. You know, I thought Loomis did a great job at coming across as, like I said uh, when I was talking earlier, um, I think that Loomis did a great uh, uh, did a great job. The guy that played Loomis, I can't even remember his name now, um, but. I thought that he did a great job coming off as that doctor who'd been through some shit and seen, you know, the stuff that he had seen when it comes to Michael and him trying to get, uh, trying to get other people to believe, you know, that this, this entity is as evil as it is. I thought that he did a great job. I thought that, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis did a great job at, you know, um, coming off as the wholesome girl that, you know, really, really has that nurturing aspect. Um, and cares about the two kids that she's babysitting. Whereas a lot of times when we see in movies and stuff like that, that the babysitters really don't even give a shit about the kids that they're babysitting. The only thing they want to do is send them to bed. So that way they can either get on the phone or get to the fucking, you know? So I, I think she did a good job at that. I thought the cheerleader girl totally did a good job, you know, uh, totally, totally. I think that she did a good job coming off as this airhead fucking slight bimbo, you know, whatever else. I thought the the sheriff's daughter did, you know, Annie. I thought she was really good. I thought the kids did a fucking phenomenal job, you know, uh, especially for, you know, not really having a whole lot to go to go on 
uh, from, you know, like getting any kind of inspiration from previous films or something like that. One, based on their age, and two, not really having a whole lot of, you know, a big catalog of things to go by. You know, all they really had was John Carpenter. So I think they did a great job coming off it the way they did. Um, you know, I really can't say a whole lot about Michael because he was kind of rigid, but I mean, I, you know, for the time period and whatever else, I think he did a really good job. So overall, I think everybody did pretty fucking phenomenal considering. So I gave it a nine. That was a lot of talk for some average acting. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, I thought everybody did great. Speaking of average special effects, kills and gore. Um, I gave it a six because I'm generous, I guess. Um, I thought the, the Bob kill was cool, but then I was like, that knife is not long enough for this to work. Um, and I started hearing Kenneth in my head bitching about the pitchfork <laughs> from the Prowler <laughs> while I was watching it. And I was like, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I was also like, well, the kills kind of make sense for this movie as it's trying to be realistic. Um, but still... Texas Chainsaw Massacre was trying to be realistic and it had way better and more interesting kills. The kills in this one were just kind of bland. Not a lot of gore. Um, not really that much for special effects either. Um, so I I might have been generous with the six. I guess we're about to find out. Jay, what did you give it? No, I feel exactly the same way you feel and I gave it the exact same score that you gave it. Um, I guess I was I was... So I don't really care all that much about the original halloween so i was really trying to balance my personal bias with judging the movie fairly and uh on its own merits as opposed to my personal opinions about it um so i ended up with a six two i i also enjoyed the bob kill as unrealistic as it is um there's no way that that would ever work for any reason in real life um but it looks fucking cool and then Michael's head tilt at the end of that is just fucking, is just chef's kiss. Um, I agree. That head tilt <laughs> is is the best thing. Like that's why that's the best kill in the movie, <laughs> right? Tilt. But yeah, it was it was pretty bland, and it just, yeah, it was. I agree with you. Yeah. All right, uh, Kenneth. I gave the kills an eight just because of sheer amusement. I'm sorry. What? I gave the kills an eight because they amused me. They're like boring and standard. But they, yeah. am, the, you know, why they amuse me? Why? Because they're so boring. Because the Bob. You're thing, like, oh, the padding's done. No, the Bob <laughs> thing. Like, it, okay, the head nod was pretty amusing, but the whole like, as I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at how far the knife's sticking out. I'm looking at how fucking stiff his body is. I came to this conclusion when I was watching the movies that I'm just like, why do people die instantly when they get stabbed in slasher movies? Have you ever noticed that? Because of padding. Yeah, I mean, people don't people don't die instantly when they fucking get stabbed in the guts. It at least takes another couple of minutes. But, no, I I agree with you, but yeah, padding. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, that amused and me. We have to have proper padding. The people walking down the street. When he's killing the girl with the fucking, with the uh, the phone cord, I was laughing my ass off at that. Oh, that seems hilarious. I know, man. It was, that's, and see, that's the reason why I scored it a little higher, which was kind of, you know, looking back on it now, I probably could have brought it down a lot. But it, it was just, it, it was funny to me. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm like, 
He's not even got any tension on that phone cord, man. And there's that a couple whole of thing spots. with him wearing the sheet and everything that was, was just dumb as fuck. <laughs> I then, like the sheet. I actually do like the sheet. But like there's even a spot in that in that instance where he's got the phone cord around her neck that it like like he he his whole Act. hand with the cord comes down. You know, and it's like it's not it doesn't even look like it's choking her. Oh. The same thing with Annie in the car. I'm sitting there and actually, I'm looking hold at up, her. hold up, hold up. Jay has a great point. What? It is stupid for him to wear that sheet. While it's amusing, Michael Myers in this movie wouldn't do that. He never shows any kind of like joking kind of thing or like he's already in a mask. Why would he put on a sheet in Bob's glasses to go trick her? For the scare factor. He does it for the scare factor. The same reason why he puts up the bodies. That's actually where I was going next. When he puts Ooh. them, when he puts them up, you know, for, on display. Counterpoint: He actually doesn't display their body. He hides the two bodies, and uh, I didn't want to get into this yet, but uh, Annie is the only body that is displayed, and she is displayed under the gravestone of his sister Judith. The other two bodies are actually hidden away and are only released because Lori knocks into them and lets them go. So. that while I can see why you would think he that like a scare factor would work it still doesn't work in my head for Michael Myers in this movie Uh, well I understand that completely to me they just look like they're displayed I mean because you know like again the phone cord girl you know her tongue's kind of hanging out halfway and her eyes are all open and shit like that I mean it's just funny to me it's funny, but she's not displayed. She's hidden in inside behind a door. That's what I'm saying. And I mean, he's I get it. Behind that door. And the same thing with dude swinging. It's like, how exactly do you position that person to hide them? To where yeah, they what swing is he like? hanging on? Yeah, that's exactly. And then on top of that, like, you know, that's one of the things about this movie. Like, does Annie look like his sister? Is that why she's displayed underneath that like that? She's got dark hair. She has the darkest hair, and I want to say Judith had darker hair. Maybe it's her knee-high socks. Could be. Um, Well, with that, let's get into Monster Killer. Um, I give it a 9. I used to find Michael boring, but now I am kind of in love with the simplicity of him and the mystery of not knowing exactly why he is doing what he is doing. Uh, He's pretty terrifying for me in uh, this movie. And uh, with that... I actually kind of wanted to talk about um, two things about Michael. Uh, one, as Michael visits his old school, he sees a kid, which is Tommy, uh, who was with Lori earlier. Um, he watches Tommy get bullied. Um, and then he even stops one of the kids who was bullying uh, him. And he, it's not that the kid runs into him. The kid's running away. Michael comes into frame with his arm already out, reaching out, and grabs the kid um, and lets him go. Makes you wonder if he had a similar past where he was bullied in school, um, which goes into my enjoying the mystery. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring out is what I was kind of just talking about with Annie. Uh, I was watching Halloween, and I noticed that while my Michael does it, originally does Stark Lori. He kind of gives it up. He only follows her for a bit because he's going because she went to his house. Later, uh, when he goes into a different house because he saw Annie 
with Lori. He actually ends up following Annie and goes into uh, the house where Annie is. He kills Annie. Um, then Linda and Bob show up where he is, you know, trying to get Annie and the tombstone together and they're fucking his shit up. So he kills Linda and Bob because they showed up. He then sets up Annie's body on the bed with his sister's Judas tombstones and he hides the other two bodies. He was looking for a proxy for his sister and he found it with Annie. Lori then comes to the house, just like Bob and Linda, looking for Annie. And so at that point, he attacks her for entering the shrine he has set up for his sister, Judith. He wasn't necessarily uh, wanting Lori at all. Lori just happened to show up uh, because circumstances allowed for it. And I now believe that in this movie, Michael was looking for a proxy for his sister. He found it in Annie. He killed Annie. Everyone else's deaths um, were just people that got in his way and showed up. Because the only other death in the movie is the guy who he killed for some... Oh, he killed to take his jumpsuit. That's it. Let's not forget about the dog. And the two dogs, actually. There was two? I only remember the German Shepherd. The German Shepherd uh, that's at the house that Annie was there? Yes. He killed that dog off screen. We hear the... Oh, yeah. He Um, eats the dog also. But earlier in the movie, Loomis finds a dead dog at at Michael's house. That's what I'm saying. He eats the dog also. And he, he eats that... He ate that one. He didn't eat the other dog. He ate the other dog at Annie's house to make it quiet. But two dogs are dead. One we know he killed. The other one we can just assume he killed. Could have been roadkill. It could have been roadkill. You're not wrong. Um, So uh, with that, that is why I like the mystery and I find Michael terrifying in this movie. Um, And that's my theory that of, of what Michael is actually doing in this movie so, in case you forgot, I gave Michael a nine. Jay, what did you give him? How in the fuck am I supposed to follow that? It was like a whole dissertation. Like, you you went, like, when we did The Shining, and you busted out your own made-up conspiracy theories. <laughs> Jesus, man. Uh, I gave him a nine. I don't know. It came to me when I was watching it this time. And considering I've watched and it's probably because I've also watched this movie like three, three or four times in the past six months for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah, what, I'm sorry. You were telling your score. What did you give Michael? I, I gave him a nine for everything I dislike about this movie. Everything, pretty much everything to do with Michael. I, I absolutely love. Um, I love Michael Myers as a character. And which is probably why I like Rob Zombies more than the originals. Cause we get more, information and more backstory to michael myers i just so i just love him i love him as a character and for everything i hate about this movie michael myers is definitely never one of them uh so i gave him a nine i don't have a dissertation to go with my score my dissertation as to why (laughs) he killed his sister is because he knew his sister had sex with that dude and so therefore she was no longer uh 
pure or wasn't exactly his because you have to assume he has some like deeper connection to his sister. This was before Pornhub, so we can't exactly go look and see if he's looking at brother sister porn. That's true. Uh, um, but at the same time, if that was the case, why didn't he kill the dude? Um, you know, because technically the dude's the one that tainted his sister, but maybe he's also like, well, I'm not going to blame him. He was just doing, you know, what dudes do. But her, that whore, you know, it's like blaming, um, getting mad at the dude your girlfriend cheated on you with instead of getting mad at her. Yep. You know, go directly to the source, not the other person. Anyway, Kenneth, what did you give uh, Monster Killer? Eight. Okay, that's solid. I like it. Anything to add or? Nope. Do do you agree with my dissertation? Yeah. Okay, I was just curious. (laughs) Jay, did you agree with it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, it makes sense. That's the reason why I'm not saying anything. And it okay. would and it would make it makes sense because it it matches up with like you know what Rob Zombie came up with. So maybe yeah. Rob Zombie saw some similar things there. Well, Rob Zombie kept the whole that Lori is his sister. Yeah, and... I meant the uh, the bullying and stuff. Oh yeah, 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 the bullying. Yeah, that. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right. And you add a um, cult in there, and we got a whole series. Oh God, that's. that's the... <laughs> I want Jeez. the cult of thorn people say Rob Zombies is the worst. I'm like, oh yeah, the one with the incest sex cult is is better. Yeah, no, was it, was that Halloween Six? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the one with Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah, that one's awful. I like uh, Four and Five as bad Paul as Rudd, they though. are. I, they're they're still better than that shit. Um, okay, we go into Hero. Hero, I gave a seven. The question is, Lori versus Loomis. Who is your hero? Dun, dun, dun. I'm giving it to Loomis. He is the one tracking down the killer. He is the killer's doctor. Lori just happens to be in the wrong place in the wrong time. Of course, Loomis spends most of his time putting Michael on a pedestal, but he does at least show up at the end of the movie to save Lori. Lori is the final girl, so therefore I cannot disagree with anyone who says that Lori is the hero of this movie. I just happen to think that Loomis is, and I don't think either answer is wrong. I think they're both correct. You can go either way, and it's right. So it just kind of depends on who you want to pick. So I gave Loomis a seven because um, stop sucking Michael's dick. Dude, quit putting him on a pedestal and fucking deal with him. Jesus. Shot him six times. Sounds like you fucking blew him six times. Um, Jay, what do you got for hero? <laughs> Six. Uh, I was going with Lori in mind because she's. I thought about Loomis and I went back and forth, but really, she's the one that like, everything keeps coming back to in all of these fucking movies. So I gave it to Lori. Um, I thought she was fine. You know, she's a good, good final girl. Um, I like that she actually like. The difference between her and Sally is that Sally kind of lucked into her escape while Lori was fighting for her life the entire time. They whoa, both... whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. Lori literally put down the knife right next to the body of Michael. 
twice because she stabbed him half an inch with something that could literally, like, not take him down. What Jay does that didn't, have to do with anything? Jay didn't say she was the brightest crayon in the box. He just <laughs> said that she kept fighting. And Sally didn't keep fighting? No, Sally kept screaming, and then she got lucky that they let her go by accident. Yep, I agree with Jay. <laughs> I think y'all are underestimating her running. Have I explained to you how fast she runs? Yeah, you have You have explained to us her ability to run fast, to which she did not. Speaking of running fast, Sonic She's 2 She's fast as fuck, boy. I can't wait to see it. Okay, so I still haven't seen Sonic 1. No spoilers. Oh, you should. They're fun, Jerry. Yeah, it's They're good. Fun. I'm sure it is. Um. Anyway, okay. Man, Kayla's making banana bread and it smells so good. Jay, fuck you. keep your mind on target here. <laughs> Stay on target. I interrupted you um, because of your statement upset me. Continue. <laughs> uh, I think I was done. We we covered it during our little uh, debate okay. there. Mm-hmm. I'm upset. Kenneth, what? <laughs> Hero, go. A nine. And Ooh. it would be either way. If you picked Loomis or if you picked Lori, it would be either way. Um, it was, I, I really couldn't distinguish because I was looking at Lori from the final girl aspect and the fact that she did keep on, you know what I'm saying? Like every time that he would get back up, she would do something else. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she stabbed him in the neck with the, with the knitting pin or whatever it was. She stabbed him in the neck with that. She stabbed him in the eye with a coat hanger. She stabbed him with the knife. You know what I'm saying? She hit him. She tried to run. You know, she even tried to trick she him. She protected those kids. Yeah. I mean, she protected the kids. She even tried to trick him. You know, by opening the uh, the door that went out to the little patio area out there and going and hiding in the closet, which, you know, in reality, I think it was kind of dumb. But either way, you know, she was she was trying to be proactive. So I got to give her credit for that. I mean, it, I mean, a whole world over Sally with her continuous screaming that went on for five minutes. So have I told you. you about the running? <laughs> yes, you have. And while I do not deny the fact that Sally probably had mad running skills, she just didn't utilize them worth a fuck. So the point she being, was running in the woods. So Lori is literally in a house she okay, knows I'll every put it to, inch I'll, of. I'll put it to you this way. Okay. If Sally was running in the woods, I just do not feel that she was putting enough effort into it to where she was running fast enough that if she hit a tree, she'd look like that dude in Dog Soldiers. Just saying. I disagree with you, but continue. Anyhow, <laughs> the point being is that, you know, I mean, I think she was very proactive. I definitely think that she hit all the marks of the, of the, to, the like I was talking about when we were talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I feel like that Lori Strode is the epitome of where the final girl went to, where it started the the solidifying it everything like what i was going into a character development that is laurie strode laurie strode is the epitome of final girl she's tough she's scared at the same time she fights for her life she does everything she can to protect the people around her and she comes out on top on top of the fact that she's wholesome she doesn't do drugs she does well she, she does, does do drugs, drugs. she smokes yeah, i just she thought about that. Those drugs. i just thought about she that but she's not fucking she's trying to make good grades everything else like that she just smokes Hold weed up. in the car with annie she was definitely going to fuck Ben Tramer. She's just very shy. And then yeah, Ben she Tramer. Was, she was constantly you know, trying to get Annie to talk to him to not go to the dance. Because she was shy. But, but the I point being is so, yeah, at this moment in time, but, 
she wasn't going around fucking damn going to pick up her boyfriend in a fucking shirt and fucking knee high socks or drinking beers and talking about, you know, with her boyfriend in a van talking about taking the clothes off of a child. That is true. Her fucking Bob deserved to die. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. But the point is, is that the Lori Strode character, you get where I'm going with it. That's the reason why I think she was a nine. And then if we go into the Loomis character, I mean, fuck, man. A guy that has spent the better part of, I think it was 15 years, the better part of 15 years basically being the eyes of this kid as this kid is growing up because he knows exactly what he is, always being there, always doing his best to protect the people because he knows what's going to happen, unrelenting, so on and so forth, even down to the point of where he stands by a bush in front of somebody's house for fucking like five or six hours and doesn't even walk off to take a piss as far as we know. You know, Loomis is sitting there in that bush like, should have Kevorkianed his ass. (laughs) Something like that. You know what I mean? You know, which I also think is funny that, you know, we're fucking into the nighttime before he notices that that station wagon is sitting over there, which I always thought was interesting. I I love the scene where he shows up at the hardware store and you just see Michael, you see Michael drive the car right behind him. Yeah. You know, like, it's so fucking good. But yeah, I mean, you know, so either way, pick your poison. I gave them both a nine. All right. Well, we move on to score, soundtrack, sound design. I give it a 10. You would think that using the same style of music over and over in this movie would be bad. But it actually ingrains itself into it, and it's just amazing. So, it works. Jay. It doesn't work. I, <laughs> uh, I gave it a 7. Um, I feel like this this movie has one one sound that it does real good, and but that's it. So there's not there's not much. Unlike in Texas Chainsaw, where we had all the background noise and you know the like the scene I described with the chainsaw for extra atmosphere. This just did like it got repetitive for me, so it, it lost some points for that for repetitiveness. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Kenneth? Gave it a nine. And I mean, it's one of those things where, like, the song is iconic. There's a couple of... Uh, yeah, the song is definitely iconic. I mean, we use it for Christ's sakes. Yeah, I mean, it's iconic, you know, and uh, I can play it on the guitar. Um, but at the same time, you know, it didn't get a perfect for me because I kind of agree with Jay. There was some times where it's just like, okay... I don't really... I think the scene would be better if it wasn't there. I think it would okay. be scarier if it was not there. And But there are other iconic... I th- that's one thing that I feel like that throughout the progression of the movies, even though the, even though the series got worse, I feel like the utilization of the classic uh, theme and the other classic sound bites that come from it, like the... They're, they're just really high-pitched, you know, sound that happens, you know, a sudden sound that happens, and then the don't it, yeah. it, you know, that kind of thing. I feel like that through the progression of the series, that actually gets better. Actually, yes, I agree with you. All right. We go on to Scare Factor. Um, I gave it a 7. Not knowing why someone kills people to me is always scarier than when someone has a reason. So I imagine watching this as a like teen girl in the early 80s would make you pretty paranoid at your next babysitting gig. 
Um, unfortunately, nowadays, it's just a well-done movie that doesn't actually really have any scares. Um, so I, I got to give it a seven because I feel like um, if you're watching this on VHS in the early 80s or if you actually did go see it in the movie theaters, um, it probably was very, very fucking effective. Um, but even as a kid watching this, it was never th- really that scary to me. I actually think that um, Halloween 4 and 5 scared me more as a kid because, you know, the How protagonist they are. was a child. <laughs> and they had that scene where Michael, like, fucking popped up right next to the bed. And, like, that was scary as shit to me as a kid. But the first movie never scared me. Um, as a kid, as to where four and five actually did four more, four was really scary to me. Um, so yeah, I could only give it a seven. Jay, what do you got? Uh, I gave it a six. Um, I just, I, I don't think it's very scary. I think it does creepy real well at times. Um, but because of all the other issues that I have with it, like the pacing and whatnot, it just, it, it doesn't really ever get scary. Um, even during the killing, it's just like, okay, he's strangling her now. (laughs) So that's, uh, that's where I land on that one. (laughs) Sorry. Your delivery on that was fantastic. Uh, Kenneth. Uh, I gave it a seven, and the biggest reason why I gave it a seven is kind of like the same thing that I said when we were talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like, you know, aside from like Black Christmas and Psycho, you know, nobody had ever really seen anything like this, especially on the level of it being suburban, like it could be right next to you, things like that. So that was the reason why I gave it a seven is just for that simple, you know, that simple thing going on and the aspects of that. But otherwise, I'm with you guys. This movie has never scared me, really. Yeah. It never really has, you know. And and again, I mean, that's a product of our generation versus the generation when it came out. You know, because we, we're inundated with things that are far, far, far more terrible than this. So, you know, it's really not that effective to us. And I also agree with you, Jerry. I feel like that four and five are scarier and give me more anxiety than the first one. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and act like four and five are like good movies. They're, they're not. They have a lot of problems. But like... I actually really like four. I really like four. And, and I, I think five's actually not bad. Um... But it's also because those are the two movies I watched the most in the Halloween franchise as a kid. They were always on, like, TNT. Right. Well, they're better than H2O and Resurrection, so. Ah, is not bad. I don't think H2O is bad either. I don't think it's terrible. Now, um, Resurrection and uh, Halloween 6, The Cunt of Michael Myers or whatever it is, mm-hmm. those are the worst in the franchise think it's the personality i think h2o i think the reason why like i can appreciate that more even though it definitely has its problems i think the reason josh hardnett is a dream boat he is he is a really good looking dude 
I wasn't going to say that, but that kind of goes into what I, what I was thinking. I mean, H2O's just definitely got that 90s popcorn fucking horror movie shit to it. Never yeah. happened to him. He finally learned how to cut his hair properly, and it turns out that made him lose all his acting jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. We are going to move on to entertainment and rewatchability. Uh, I gave it an eight. I used to say that I like the Rob Zombie Halloween more. Now I'm on medication. <laughs> um, somehow in, in 2020, the tail end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022, I have watched this movie uh, apparently five times. I wrote five times here. Uh, and it's just clicked with me. I, 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 and I now do think it's a masterpiece, and I would be down to watch it and, re- and relax anytime. To me, Halloween is such a relaxing movie. To the point of sleeping. Which is a weird thing to say about a horror movie. And I'm going to act like I didn't hear what Kenneth said. Ugh. But um, so I, it has high rewatchability to me, and I am entertained by it now. Um, Jay. Uh, I gave it a six. I, uh, I, I just have too many problems with this to be a regular rewatch. I'd, I'd almost want to watch any other. So, uh, I get it. one final girl does not run enough. <laughs> I'd almost watch, I'd almost want to watch any other movie in the series before this one, uh, for entertainment value. Now, that's not to say that I think it is the worst in the series. It's just for pure entertainment, I got to look elsewhere for my Halloween enjoyment. Okay, Kenneth. I gave it a six. And I gave it a six just simply because of I'll rewatch it on Halloween. And maybe one other time, like I said, going back to what I, you know, the comment I made to you just a minute ago. Uh, I'll put it on if I'm not planning on paying attention and uh, not off. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, we move into uh, pop culture. Uh, I, I give it a 10. Michael is part of the holy trifecta with Jason and Freddy. And um, I would say, like, he probably, like, I think Jason probably overall would probably beat him in a poll but like for some reason there's always this feeling to me that when you write the word horror you should have michael's mask right above it like it's just so iconic with the word horror and it may be because you know he's from a franchise called halloween so i'm just replacing one like pop culture word for another but I, I just don't see a way where you can't give him a 10 out of 10 representation in pop culture. Um, and it all started with this iconic movie, with this iconic look, with this iconic music. So 10 out of 10. Jay, what do you got? 10 out of 10. There's no denying uh, this movie's impact on pop culture. Um, for however I feel about it, it doesn't matter. But it's... Like you said, it's right up there with all of them. Um, it's just as well known as Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, most average people have heard about it. Yeah, you just you can't deny how much impact this movie's had. Yep, 
Kenneth, what do you got? It's a 10. I mean, it's kind of piggybacking off what you guys said. I mean, when it really comes down to it, if you mention horror in any way, shape, form, or fashion, there's usually going to be four things that pop up in people's heads immediately. It's going to be a Freddy glove, a, Jason, a fucking hockey mask, a fucking Michael Myers mask, and a goddamn chainsaw. You are correct. Um, okay. Representation of its subgenre or horror as a whole. Uh, 10. And you know what? I don't really want to give it a 10 because I think it gets a little too much credit for everything. Uh, and uh, I, I just don't see much of a difference between it and a few movies that came before it. But you can't argue with mob opinion or you will get kicked out of Facebook horror groups. <laughs> so you give it your 10 and you don't have to argue with a guy who's got uh, fucking uh, Daniel Harris's jeans nailed to his wall above his bed. She's a nice lady. She is a nice lady, but... I don't want to argue with the guy that's got her blue jeans nailed no, to the wall. No, I don't want to argue with that guy either. Above I don't his want bed. to really interact with that guy at all. Exactly. So, with that being said, Jay, what do you have for representation? I gave it a 10 as well. Um, again, I feel like I can't even allow my personal opinions to affect this score in any way. Um, its impact on the genre things that it helped solidify and create, like Kenneth was saying earlier, are just absolutely undeniable, just as much as the impact on pop culture as a whole. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth, representation. I give it a nine. And the only reason why I didn't get a perfect 10 is because it wasn't the founder of some of these tropes that are in there. It was just the solidifier. It was the one that kicked it off, like I was talking about earlier. You know, it really set the, the you know, the the type of characters that are in there and the typical ones that set it all in motion. It set the POV thing in motion and everything else like that. We had it before that and I'm not denying that, but that's the only reason why I didn't get a perfect 10 is because it wasn't the founder, but it, it fucking kicked it right off, man. And then once, once everybody saw, you know, Halloween being mainstream and for what it was being mainstream and it blossoming into what it did. And then it fucking, you know, uh, created fucking knockoffs and whatever else that turned out to be the heaviest hitters in horror right next to it and so on and so forth. I mean, I have to give it credit for all that, but it doesn't get a complete score because it wasn't the founder of it. But all those things that I talked about earlier, it definitely did all those things. So it gets a nine. And had it been the founder of all those tropes, it would have got the 10. Yeah. You know what's weird is that people consider, oh, Halloween is the first slasher because it took all the elements and put it all together. And then, so it, it, it created the, the slasher by being the perfection of all those elements together. And then, but Friday the 13th popularized it and made everyone in the world copy it because it copied Halloween and, but everyone else was technically copying Friday the 13th. And you can see this because Halloween 2 actually copies Friday the 13th and so forth and, and so on. And uh, with those people, you can't, if you bring up Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Black Christmas, they go, oh, those are proto slashers. 
you you can't bring those up. Just like, can't bring up Psycho or Peeping Tom. Those are proto. Uh, every Giallo, you can't bring up Mario Bava's Bay of Blood. That's a that's a proto. And I'm just like, if Halloween put everything together and perfected it, like to create the genre. How come, like, we don't do that for any other subgenre in horror? Uh, Slash is like the only one we we go we the, the the genre that literally has like the almost least amount of like like intelligent thought is the one that like we like dissect like fucking scientist honestly i think the biggest reason why we do it that way is because of two things i think it's one the amount of fucking content that we have to go on there when when the slasher craze started you know uh when it really hit home at the beginning of the 80s and and you had fucking slashers every fucking where you know, that's number one. I mean, you, there is no shortage of slasher movies to this day. All right. So I think that was the first thing that did it to make it to where people pick it apart so hard. And then I think the other part of it is, is that it's so much easier to pick that apart because there's not a, a major intelligent conversation that can go into the slasher genre itself. Because everything, I mean, when if we were to really sit down and think about every different slasher movie, they're pretty much all the same. You know what I'm saying? If we were to really sit down and look at it, they're pretty much all the same. And so, but you can take other movies that are different subgenres and stuff like that, and they get a little bit more, um, I guess, detailed in the different aspects of it. Like, uh, you know, I'll take my favorite one and I'll run with it like I already have once or twice already. You take the, you know, the possession subgenre. You take that, man, and you like you take a movie like The Exorcist, and then you look at The Exorcism of Emily Rose. All right? Two exorcism movies coming from two different points of view. Two completely different points of view. Yeah, and there's, but there's all, like, of course, of those, you have the intelligence part of it, because you can go, what is it saying about religion, and how we, exactly. how we, as people, like, that, but, like, I feel like, I want to know when the meeting was held, that everyone got together and was just like, we're tired of arguing. We're just Halloween. Halloween's the beginning of the slasher. Every, like, when did this, like, become, like, because I know it's a thing because, like. Oh, well, it was the summer of 83. It, it's, uh, the, <laughs> like, like, I, but no, seriously. So, I mean, and I got tired of arguing. And everyone's tired of arguing. So we, we just say, yes, Halloween is, is. The first slasher. We're done. But um, anyway, let me go over the scores for people. Um, I gave Halloween 119. Kenneth right under me with 118. And Jay at the bottom with 108. Very, very interesting. Um, it's kind of weird to me that Kenneth is one point under me. Considering I like this movie a lot more than he does. That's the way the scales balance. But it does show we do try to be, we do try to take away our bias as much as we can with these categories. 
Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, but I'll give least... credit where credit's due. I mean, okay, Lando. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I can't, I can't not go into certain things. You know, there's obviously some movies that we've done in the past where looking past my own biases just ain't gonna fucking happen. But in this particular case, you know, I tried to look at it as best as I could. And and granted, if I'm not mistaken, didn't we when we did the review of this movie, didn't I give it, you know, even didn't I give it some praise when we did that one, like better than I had in the past? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so I mean I give it credit where credit's due. It's just, you know, it's not my go-to slasher movie. It's just not. You know, it's slow. At times, it's boring. You know what I'm saying? It's not my go-to slasher movie. But at the same time, I mean, it deserves what it gets. It deserves, you know, the credit for the, the series that it spawned. It deserves the credit for fucking Halloween 2018 and Halloween, uh, Halloween Kills. You know what I'm saying? Because those two were, you know, granted 2018 was better. But I like both of those a lot. Those were really good. Um, so, you know. I like how they named it Halloween Kills because the only cool thing in this movie are the kills. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like the brutality of Michael in it. I like the fact that, you know, it 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 didn't seem like it was like a person that just kind of walked into an unfortunate situation like what you were talking about earlier when you were going through your, your thing. You know, it, it it doesn't seem like that. It just seems like Michael's fucking, you know, he walks into a house and he kills motherfuckers. That's that's actually kind of what I like about yeah, the Yeah, because literally in Halloween 2018, he is brought to Lori. Yeah. Once again, it, it, he just, people keep bringing the shit to Lori. Unlike, well, in the first movie, Lori just happened to walk into it. But then everyone, like, is obsessed later on that, oh, there's got to be something special about Lori. There's nothing fucking special about Lori. Michael don't give two shit about her. Other than the fact that he wants to end her life. Yeah, and, and even in the first movie, he's only following her because he's like, well, she's the closest thing I've got so far to my sister, but, you know, oh, shit, look, she got friends. Let yeah. me call, even in her friend group, she's trying. She's getting killed last. But that's why she got to hook up with Ben Tramer. <laughs> and Ben Tramer. Rest in peace, Ben Tramer. Uh, but the point is, is that, you know, when it really comes down to it, regardless of whether I watch the movie fucking a thousand times throughout a year or I watch it once, if that at all, it deserves its credit for what it is. And it does, and John Carpenter deserves his credit for what he did to the slasher genre, which was bring it to the forefront. It was already there. The seed had already been. The, I mean, it had already started fucking coming up out of the ground. It's just you know, fucking John Carpenter added the miracle grow to the plant that was already there. I, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Um, so with that being said, obviously Texas Chainsaw Massacre won in this epic battle. Halloween. Uh, we would love to hear your opinions and responses to things we said. Um, I'd especially love to know what you think about my Halloween theory. Um, and tell us where we're right. Tell us where we're wrong. Tell us, would you pick Halloween over Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Um, all that good stuff. Let us know. Uh, we are so glad to be back. We are so glad to bring back Horror Coliseum. Um, Obviously, we love doing horror coliseums because we just get really good discussions out of them. So, 
with that being said, we'll see you soon. I think the next thing we'll do is probably another After Dark. If you like the first one, we'll have another one coming uh, whenever we fucking record it. So if you want to, get your questions in. You know, post them in the group, private message one of us. And I'll do let it us, without let my us pants know. on. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> with that, that. <laughs> with that, we're going to get out of here before someone cancels us. Um, Jay, do you have any last words to the people? Uh, I love you guys. Kenneth, any last words to the people? Love you too. I think we just picked up Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> You can get past the dog, but nobody fucks with a lion. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcasts, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Mental Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick 6 Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which vs. The Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.